This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. presence of a uh, rising podcasting star who's going to surpass us in no time at all. Josh <laughs> Toomey, welcome to Decibel Geek. Thank you for having me on Decibel Geek. This is exciting. By the time this episode is over, he will have surpassed us. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't able to fulfill the rider, but uh, I did my best. Yeah. You know. yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens next time. There were a few brown M&Ms. <laughs> too much. So we are gathered here today to discuss a band from basically from San Francisco, and uh, that's only put out nine studio albums since 1981. That's kind of hard to believe. Yeah, they've really spaced them out. They really have. I guess, although I guess with, once success really took over, they didn't have, they could take their time and make their money off the touring. So, well, let's get into the basics. Um, so Josh, since you're, I guess you go first, what, uh, what was your first exposure to Metallica? How'd you get into them? My first exposure to Metallica was honestly the Black Album, and you know, '91 hit. I was kind of coming out of uh, the late '80s. I had just gotten into you know Kiss and, and Motley Crue and all that stuff through my cousins and family, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and then Metallica's you know Inner Sandman blows up, and and it just makes you you know it blew my world apart. And then I had to go back and. You know, they had such a great discography to go back through. Mm. And then, uh, you know, they always say, like, 91, you know, Nirvana came in and killed music. But I think 91 also had the Black Album. And, and I think it, you know, created, uh, you know, just made metal so much, so, such a mainstay at that point, too. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good year for music like that. You know, the first time Metallica ever came into my, my perception was, I remember being a young kid and bringing a little boombox on the bus and playing cassette tapes all the time of bands that I liked. It was Kiss, and it was, uh, geez, I had all kinds of different stuff. It was like Wasp and things like that. And all of a sudden, one day, my buddies showed up with um, Ride the Lightning, and they were like, this music we've been listening to with you just sucks, Was man. Ride the Lightning new at the time? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, and, uh, great. Like, yeah, yeah. so, so there's like, you know, the stuff you listen to sucks. you got to play this. And I say, what? You know, and I play it, and I'm like, damn, you know, this is, yeah. holy shit. And they're like, yeah, we, we ain't listening to Kiss no more. And I like that. I was like, no, nah, fuck Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> and I fought, I fought back against it, but, you know, secretly I had to accept yeah. it that they were awesome. But there was two bands, Guns N' Roses and Metallica, that yeah. I always had to say, no, nah, fuck Guns N' Roses, because people would come around and say, ah, oh, fuck Kiss. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Metallica. It's Guns N' Roses, so. Okay, so for me, I got into them just before... Josh got into them. I got into them when Injustice for All came out, and for two reasons. Well, of course, I saw the one video. You couldn't mm. you couldn't really ignore it because I was a big devotee to MTV at the time, and you know whatever was premiering on MTV was exciting. You remember the whole yeah. world premiere thing? Like sure. you would tune in just for world premieres of video. I would tune in for premieres of videos of bands I didn't even like just because it was a brand new video. It was like a big deal. 
Um, and also, I remember I had a lot of friends that listened to Metallica before I really got into them, and that was the big talk was they're selling out. They're doing a music video. Right, because wasn't they wouldn't that do the thing? Yeah. yeah. But um, I saw that video, and I liked them, but right at, I can't remember which came first, but <clears throat> I started playing guitar around that time. And, like, I got my first guitar, started taking lessons, and I had a friend that lives in the city next to mine, and he went to school with me, and he could already play guitar, and he got, he really introduced me to the band, though, because he had a cassette tape that was a, it was a mixtape between Kill 'Em All and Ride the Lightning. Yeah. So, but it mostly had Kill 'Em All songs, but it had For Whom the Bell Tolls, Fade to Black, uh, I think Sanitary, I don't know. It was a mixtape of Metallica song, and he got me into that. And the first thing he showed me was "For Whom the Bell Tolls," because you could play the basic root notes on one string, you know, yeah. da, 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 just second fret open, second fret open, you know, and da, 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 you know the whole walk down piece. Yeah. And of course, you know, I'm like 12 or 13 at the time, and just thinking I'm the shit because like I can play something I heard <laughs> on this Metallica tape. Right on. <laughs> I couldn't play chords yet, but he uh, he got me into him and like so. I remember for whom the bell tolls was like the first song that really kind of grabbed me by them, and because it was a mix of heavy and melodic at the same time. So that was a good introduction because it wasn't like with you. I'm I'm guessing the first thing you heard was fight fire with fire. Yeah. So that's a hell of a way to <laughs> oh, first yeah. hear them because that song just falls out. Right. I remember hearing it going, wow. <laughs> Yeah. You know. See, that's the thing too is like I got into playing bass at that same time when I first got into Metallica, and for whom the bell tolls, you know that that bass intro that Cliff plays is absolutely one of my favorite things ever. And then you know, so I sat there and I, you know, figured it out, and you know, I got the got the whole song. And so yeah, for whom the bell tolls for me is first song I ever learned, like start to finish. That always holds a nice special place in my heart. Right. So Kill 'Em All comes out July twenty fifth, nineteen eighty three on Megaforce Records, produced by Paul Curcio. I have no idea who Paul Curcio is. Josh, you're a big uh, Metallica fan. Do you know who this guy is or what he's done? No idea who Paul Curcio is. I do okay. know his name is Curcio. Though. Curcio. <laughs> because technically, I think in high school, I went to high school with a kid with the last name Curcio, and the rumor was that he was somehow related to him. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> Everybody thinks I'm really cool, but I can't figure out why. Although, if, if it's from what I know about Metallica, from what I hear, uh, Metallica probably self-produced most of this because they typically did not listen to outsiders. Right. Especially in, this, in these days. Yeah. So, it comes out, and uh, Megaforce is an independent label at the time, and the album, you know, in thrash communities, it blows up in the underground. Of course, there's not nothing being played on the radio from this, no. I don't think. But... Um, it's funny we're starting with this because this is my this is my all time favorite Metallica album. Yeah, it's mine great, too. Yeah. Oh, really? All oh, yeah. Well, I'm, it's not my favorite, but it's it's definitely it has its place in my heart. Well, I just, I love that it's almost like a mix of thrash metal meets punk rock or something. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's just so angry and pissed off sounding the whole right. thing. Yeah, that was my exact uh, thoughts. Uh, thoughts on this record was the, the thrash meets punk. There's a lot of punk in this record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the songs, man. I just remember because I never heard this until years after it came out because of where I came in, introduced to Metallica. But I mean, the songs on here are just killer. This is—it's a complete album. You know, it's—it's it's hard to believe that sometimes a band could come out and hit this hard on their first shot. 
you know, and Metallica comes out of the gates and they're on fire. There's no other album in existence you can compare it to, I don't think. You know, it's just so mm-hmm. unique. It's it's a foreshadowing of what Metallica will become. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's when they come back after this album, they're they're kind of a different band. You know, they're definitely I don't know if it's so much production or songwriting or the fact that Dave Mustaine's not in there anymore. You know, but it's it's just they're really different bands. You know, it's still Metallica, but. I just love this first album. I don't think there's anything they ever came out with that's like it, and there's no other album ever recorded that's like it. Uh, with Metallica's Kill 'Em All, you've got you know Hit the Lights being the first song that they quote unquote ever wrote. Yeah. You know, and they and it kicks off their debut album, and it's an you know incredible song, and you you know you've got so many staples that's still in their set to this day that's on this album. You know, you got Seek and Destroy, which is a classic. Yeah. Whiplash is always played. Jump in the Fire. Jump in the Fire. I mean, yeah, you go down the list, and there's, there's songs that are, they still play live to this day. And it's, the Metallica is one of those bands, too, is, you know, even if you had the No Life to Leather demo that came out prior to this, there's not, there, there are no songs that didn't make this album. Like, these 10 songs are the 10 songs that they had. Like, there right. was, they didn't have a bunch of demos of, of all these random songs. Like, you know, there's not a lot of, uh, Obviously, there's throwaway songs later in their career, but there's not a lot of like throwaway, uh, you know, demos running around of these unreleased songs that that Metallica from wrote. Early days, yeah, yeah, because yeah, I guess this was. I mean, basically, what you're hearing is probably their set list from right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's probably exactly as it appears. Probably, yeah, probably even even in the same order. And the Dave Mustaine, you know, connection is pretty valid because he wrote. Let's see, well, he did what four or five songs yeah, on here. This one, yeah. Four, four songs on here. And one of which is my favorite all-time Metallica song, which is the Four Horsemen. It's an amazing no, song. Love it. I think uh, this song has so many different levels, yeah. and it's one of the most creative things they ever wrote. It's mm-hmm. just epic in every way, and. And it, the thing I love about Metallica in general, and they even, you know, up to current day, they they are masters at basically, they're masters at basically doing something where, like, you have bands that are thrash bands that are just balls out thrash through the entire song, the entire record, and it never changes. Right. And there's something to be said for that. If you're in a mood for that, that's great. But Metallica, even within a song, were awesome at taking something, and they could start off just beating the hell out of you with it, and then they would completely shift the tempo even with the same within the same riff and you would hear the song completely spun on its head and it the next thing you know you're just bobbing your head and yeah, it's like right. listenable I do you know what I mean it's like it's suitable for the masses even stuff as early as this the four horsemen has real melody to it oh totally the, the guitar solo alone is one of the yeah. best guitar solos of that era in my opinion doing research for this actually they were uh, I was reading something with Dave Mustaine talking about the 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 bridge to the song was actually inspired by Sweet Home Alabama, and it makes so much sense. The that part? No, no, Oh my god. I was like, oh my. That's... Now you're going to make me hate this. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking hate but, Sweet Home Alabama. And the, and the other side of this was, you know, Dave Mustaine obviously going on to Megadeth. You know, the Four Horsemen, the mechanics is on mechanics. the first, yeah. you know, on the yeah, first Megadeth album. One, and okay. it's. It's pretty bad. It's not good. You know, it's. it's I don't hate it, but I, I'd like this way better. Yeah, but you yeah. you can tell, like the Metallica, the 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 you know the Lars Ulrich, James Hetfield mm-hmm. side of it, and then you also see the Dave Mustaine side of it, and you see how like, 
you know, to where it's where Metallica is more of a not so polished. You got you know Dave Mustaine just being so mechanical and and, and, mm-hmm. and precise on that side of it. So you know the Lars and you know Lars and James have a have a feel to them to where you know Dave kind of had a, maybe a little bit more precision to him, maybe a little bit less feel. I think it's almost like a Vinnie Vincent situation <laughs> with Gene and Paul. Like you know Lars and James could harness the best thing that yeah. Dave Mustaine had and look what the result was. Exactly. Right. You know, because I'll take his Four Horsemen, in my opinion, is way better than Mechanics. I know I'm going <laughs> to yeah. get shit from some people for that, but it's well, a it's a more of a complete song. Cause it's mecha- hard to deny. Mechanics is more, like you said, it's just a mechanical sounding, it's almost like just a display of precision. Yeah. yeah. Well, then lyrically, too, I mean, the Four Horsemen's a way cooler subject than, like, a mechanic, you know, a perverted mechanic, <laughs> you know? That's true. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I don't even hear about you wrenching on a car, dude. <laughs> and uh, Motor Breath, but then Motor Breath, you know, even that, that's an ass-kicking song, mm-hmm. but it also yeah. has melodic moments in it. It's just, that was just what's so great about this, and also the punk rock feel of yeah. it, because it's just, the album sounds like it's going to fucking spin out of control at any moment. You know, it's just like every song sounds like it's barely holding itself together. Mm. And it sounds like a live album. It sounds like they're yeah. actually all playing in the room at the same time. Right. There's not a million overdubs being done on no. this. It's just raw energy. So. Yeah, and too, with, you know, Kirk obviously joined the band just, re- you know, I think, what, weeks before this album was recorded. Yeah. So some of those solos, you can tell some of the stuff, if you listen to No Lift to Leather, you can hear, like, he was listening to what Dave did, what Dave Mustaine did, and kind of copied a little bit of it. There are some there are some lead-ins to solos that I think Dave kind of wrote, and then you know he expanded upon. But you know, so Kirk's kind of all over the place too. I think they just said, "Here's the solo section. Do what you will. You know, go get your wah wah pedal and, 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 and <laughs> let's rock." You know? Pedal. you know, yeah. If I have one gripe about Kirk Hammett, that's it. <laughs> he relied too way too much reliance on wah wah, which he would do way more in the '90s. It was yeah. like, can you play one solo without the damn pedal, Kirk? But uh, and this too, and, like this, and the other thing on this album too is, you know, Cliff wasn't in the band for very long either. <laughs> Cliff Burton's bass playing, which we'll get into on Ride the Lightning, yeah. you know, totally blows Ride the Lightning up. But I mean, you've got kind of Cliff, uh, kind of get you know getting in where he can on this album too, and you know, to where Cliff is not just a, you know, a, a good, you know, he's not a good you know, bass player playing guitar on bass. He's a bass player. You know, like, you know, playing bass lines under what they're doing. Mm-hmm. He's just not, fit, you know, re- repeating what, you know, uh, Kirk and James are doing. So he was he, not a pocket player. No, he no. was not at all. No, but he it wasn't was, there just to hold the plates. No, yeah, he not had at his all. own set of things that he did. And, I, you know, of course, the, the school is called Anesthesia Pulling Teeth, but mm-hmm. it's better known as Bass Solo Take One. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I remember as a kid when my friend was teaching me the stuff and everything, and we would listen to that and just marvel at it like oh my god listen to what that fucking because how high up he gets mm-hmm. on the thing it's like yeah. it sounds like a damn guitar yeah and i was just like yeah being 12 13 years old listening to that i mean i used to listen to it over and over again <laughs> exactly. going, how the fuck is he doing that because i didn't know but uh yeah. a lot of geezer butler yeah in yeah. this first album the influence of him for sure and which i wasn't even into sabbath at the time so i didn't know it at the yeah. time i was just hearing that fresh mm-hmm. going oh my god let's then of course it got into sabbath later and geezer you know we could do a whole show just on him right <laughs> but uh yeah it's i mean there, there is do you think there's any clunkers on this album at all not a one i don't think so not even the instrumental no it's great that's 
that's a showcase in, the, in, a, in and of itself. It yeah. delights Four Horsemen, Motor Breath, Jump in the Fire, Anesthesia, Pulling Teeth, Whiplash, Phantom Lord. That's awesome. No Remorse. I love I, No you, Remorse. You can't beat No I Remorse. I think that's like maybe the underrated track. You, yeah, don't, hear, so. you don't hear me, people talk about it much. That's but. one of my favorite tracks on the album, one of my favorite Metallica songs all around. Seek and Destroy and Metal Militia. Yeah. Not a clunker on the album. It's a perfect album to me. Yeah, perfect album. And plus you get a little bit of production too, Metal Militia, you get some you know, footsteps, some stomping, you know, marching, things like that. Phantom Lords got some cool stuff going on. Kind of back to Cliff Burton and my love of Cliff Burton, but you know, Anesthesia is something that he had been doing since the you know, when he was playing that band Trauma. Trauma you know, when, yeah. when uh, James and, and Lars saw him up on stage, they you know, they were they also were blown away by this solo and by the whole fact of like you know they thought they were saying a guitar solo and then they get closer to the stage and and some dude just ripping on the bass so you know you're mm -hmm. that must have been amazing to see live just to right? walk in and yeah just to see a guy doing that <laughs> shit on the stage because especially in night was like was it 81 or something when they put the yeah. band together yeah. yeah i mean that's i mean other like, than that's him yeah, that's the than, dude right there other than maybe steve harrison as we said geezer butler yeah you know seeing a guy do that in a club or something <laughs> holy shit i mean and then the singles released were Whiplash and Jump in the Fire. Of course, they were competing with uh, Mr. Mister and shit like that at the time, so <laughs> yeah. radio was not going to touch this album with a 10-foot pole. No, I always like the so single different. cover for Jump in the Fire with the scary-looking monster oh, devil yeah. guy. Yeah, and of course, I guess we should talk about the album cover, which the official cover is cool and all, but it was initially going to be called Metal Up Your Ass, and had a hand with a dagger coming out of a toilet <laughs> and the distri distributor was like uh no we're not going to release that you right because like you guys are going to basically commit career suicide on your first album right but kill them all is so much better yeah than i know that. with a yeah with a hammer and blood all over the floor i mean I, yeah this is that one of those times where the label comes back or distributors come back and tell you to change something and i think they got it right that time yeah and plus kill them all being attributed to cliff saying you know two of those distributors like you know, to the distributors, ah, just kill them all, you know. Right. But it's great. Actually, that, that dagger coming up out of the toilet shirt in high school, I had that shirt. I had a lot of yeah. friends that uh, wear that to and, school. And I, I had to get some electrical tape and put it over the ass part of it. So, yeah, it's, that's always fun. But, yeah, man, it's, uh, as for a debut album, I don't think you can you can beat this thing. You know, there's so much going on at that time and, and you know, with Thrash and everything. Right. So That's 1983, and then they go out and they tour a whole bunch. And then Right the Lightning comes out in 1984. And July 27th, 84. Produced by Metallica and Fleming Rasmussen, if I'm getting that name correct. Um, also released on Megaforce, uh, recorded in three weeks with Fleming in Copenhagen, Denmark. There was a great article about a year ago that came out on one of the rock and roll websites that had the band members and Fleming talking about the making of the album. Because apparently... They made this thing out in the middle of nowhere, and it was like a studio to where, once you're in, you're in, and it's basically you're basically <laughs> trapped in a studio, and there's nothing else to do but record. Wow. And uh, so it was like, in that tone of the record, it sounds like they recorded the thing while they were trapped in a bunker or something, because it's just, <laughs> yeah. 
it's so it's almost got a deep hollow feel to it like it's just it parts of the album sound punishing but then other parts of it are real spacious sounding at the same mm. time and my i'll go ahead and just state my gripe with this album i do not like the way james's vocals are are produced on this record yeah it's real like chorusy i believe yeah they're like yeah. they they try to do this strange effect on his vocals and it sounds like he's singing out of like a hallway or something it just yeah it's not up front enough in the mix and like i know they want to make the guitars front and center but i don't think his vocals were were the best part of this album at all of course the the guitar playing was amazing on it um the songwriting is great on it but uh i don't know i i love this album but it pales big time in comparison to kill them off for me i think a lot of times you go back to this album, and I think this might be the kind of the forgotten album to a lot. You know, you kind of go back and you're like, Kill 'em All is a great debut. You know, you got Master of Puppets, you got Injustice for All, you got the right. Black album. You know, you can say what you want about Load and Reload; they still have their have their place. But you know, this album to me is kind of the the, the forgotten one. So when you go back and listen to it, like I did, kind of getting ready for this, you're like, Oh wow, I forgot how great this album was. Yeah. And you know, you start out with a nice little instrumental acoustic intro to the album. Uh, you know they, they take their songwriting and their their playing abilities is showcased on this one a lot more too, and they tour the first album Kill 'Em All has punkier songs on it. This album you get more of the Four Horsemen epics. You know there's not a song on here that's well I guess under four minutes, but the you know, majority of them are are pushing seven. So you know you've got uh, you, you've got musicianship on display all over the place. Oh yeah. I think too. This is where like the the influence of Maiden kind of starts showing yep. itself in in what Metallica is doing. Where like the first album was more definitely of a, a punk rock kind of influence, you know, with some budgie and some new wave of British heavy metal type stuff. But this one, it always reminded me more akin to you know the direction that Metallica would keep going, and where you really kind of first notice that oh these guys are all Iron Maiden fans. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of get that out of this. But as far as the songs go, I mean, jeez, I don't think there's even a clunker on this one. Even Call of Cthulhu's kick-ass. That song's a little overindulgent for me. But, but like, <laughs> well, it is an eight-minute song, but again, yeah. they were talking about a couple of bunch of Maiden fans I was going to say, so though, if you, you put go. it in the context of they were kind of paying homage to Maiden, yeah. then, then it, it fits fine. But This is like um, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner Part 2. I'll take Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, and like we mentioned earlier, Fight Fire with Fire, I mean, they certainly made a statement with the first track of the album. Because yeah. that song is fucking insane from beginning to end. kind of too where you get introduced to Metallica you know luring you in with something pretty you know and something yeah. sweet and you're going oh like this is something you could play but for that your mom last. you play that you could play the beginning of fight fire with fire for your mom she'd go oh yeah that's, that's pretty good. and then all of a sudden ah you know <laughs> and that's what I always love about Metallica they could like you know make you feel safe and secure and then all of a sudden pull the carpet out and punch you in the face you know right. and you're like all right here we go let's rock and roll yeah and I mean I well and you know Lars gets a lot I mean I read a lot of you know metal websites, and of course you see the comments on Blabbermouth whenever Metallica gets brought up, and Lars gets beaten up a lot over his drumming. 
Yeah. Back was, in this back in this nice. era, I thought his drumming was perfect for what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah, I've got I've got my one comment on Lars's drumming, and I'll I'll bring it up now. But I, well, I I'll bring it up later. <laughs> well, yeah, don't worry, we all will. Yeah. But I think I think it's funny. We always talk about Lars's drumming, and I think Lars's drumming was perfect for Metallica, and because there was a, there was a concert probably 10 years ago now but it was a big festival and Lars couldn't make it I forget what happened but you know Dave Lombardo comes out Joey Jordanson comes out mm-hmm. of Slipknot he you know a couple all these like guest drummers come out and they play and like Dave Lombardo kills well, the Metallica stuff you know he's an amazing drummer yeah. but I think I think to where where Megadeth is you know Hangar 18 and all these intricate parts and, and all this drumming going on and you think of Nick Menza and those guys as being amazing drummers I think that Lars kind of like lowers the bar enough to where it's palatable for everybody mm. to where, you know, you're not to where I think James and Cliff and all those guys want would love to play in a band like Megadeth, but they know that Lars can't do it. So it kind of keeps them, <laughs> keeps them grounded, you know, and to where they're not uh, just totally technical and blowing everybody away. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe it's a blessing in disguise yeah. that he's not the most technically proficient guy. Um, yeah, because who knows? The next album could have been a prog rock masterpiece. Right. Oh, that's true. But no, I mean that's that's a really good, interesting point because I mean they, you know, maybe he he kept them in the rock world just enough, just to, enough. to make them yeah. more palatable to people that would be scared off by yeah. Slayer and and stuff like along those lines. It's a little bit more just crazy. Um, I think the title track doesn't get a lot of love, and and it's a great song. Yeah, it is. Um, I was listening to this album last night while I was. I drive for Lyft part-time now, so in between riders, I was cranking the discography <laughs> last night. And I have a newer car now with a really great system in it, so it was a lot of fun. But, uh, yeah, this, I, the title track, of course, I listened to Fight Fire with Fire, which I love. I've heard it a million times. Mm-hmm. But then Ride the Lightning, I actually hadn't listened to in a few years. And I, was like, I forgot how damn good this song is, and really it gets good. overlooked by a lot of the fans. You know, it's a great song. Josh, I think this whole album kind of gets overlooked when you look at the Metallica discography because there's some stuff coming up that people are very passionate about. Maybe not in the same way as they are about these. It's kind first of the albums. in-between album. But seems. this is like, yeah, it's like everybody looks back, like you said, with with fond feelings about that debut album because it was so separate and different. Yeah. And then if you start talking, okay, well, what else do you like? And it's usually jumps right ahead to Master, Master. of Puppets. Yeah. You know, but this yeah. album is. Yeah, like I said, it's damn near perfect too. Well, Every I mean, song here is fantastic. A song like "Creeping Death," which has been yeah. a staple of their staple in their set list for yeah. years, man. I mean, it's a great song. You, you could tell that's one of the band's favorite songs. Yeah. These these are songs that when they come up on your on your shuffle on your iTunes, you know you you're singing along with them. You yeah. know you're 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 slapping your hand on the steering wheel, you know, and you're tapping your your left foot while you're driving down the road or wherever you are. You're walking to the beat, you know. Yeah. These songs grab you. Well, and you know, I mean, you obviously have to give credit to Fade to Black mm-hmm. and For Whom the Bell Tolls because those are the big two off this record mm-hmm. that to this day people consider epic classic metal songs. And like it's funny, you know, people talk we're going to get down down the road here in a few years and talk about sellout and commercialism and stuff. Fade to Black, I mean, is pretty much a ballad. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does get heavy, right? But you know, I I don't think it sounds too different from what would come up on later albums. It's just funny, although from what Lars has said in interviews, because like I wasn't a fan in 1984, 
But from what he says, there were people in 1984 going screaming sellout when Fade to Black was put on this album. Wow. So, I mean, people were pissed off at them as early as the second record for selling out, you know. But they're not that kind of band. I mean, I think Metallica is a band that's allowed to experiment and do other things. You know, you don't, as far as they're concerned, you know, they just did what they wanted to do. Right. Well, with Fade to Black, I think think the one good thing about Fade to Black is it kind of, you know, Metallica didn't just show up one day with nothing else matters. Like they, they kind of lulled you into like false sense of security, you know, into where, you know, a few years later they're gonna they're gonna release the you know the full on ballad. Yeah. But they you know they they kind of give you the the intro to fight fire with fire, and then they show you that they can play like that, and then they give you fade to black, which is you know about half a song worth of ballady stuff and yeah. then they you know they keep yeah. kind of building and building and building and building and building and building so, so yeah. at one point it's not like pushing us off a cliff but you got to look at the, the cliff good boy for me but, uh, <laughs> but no the you have to look at the band's influences and like what they were listening to at the time i mean yeah. lars is a big fan of status quo and deep purple and <laughs> And those bands, Budgie used to do a and, lot of that and stuff. And Budgie, you know, yeah. like they, but those bands didn't shy away from doing melodic stuff. No. So you know, it's just I almost think there was this sort of uh, kind of meat-headed view on what Metallica should be by <laughs> right. a lot of people. Yeah. And like, you know, if it's not completely heavy, 100 miles an hour all the time, it's not good. And as I'm going to mention when we get to later albums, you know, there's stuff they can do that's not even close to even being metal, but it's still good music. Yeah. Right. But then again, your name is Metallica, so I don't know. Maybe you should be held to that standard. There are certain expectations. Metallica being one of the coolest band names of all time, by the way. Well, yeah, we should give credit to that. Yeah, Yeah, most definitely. It's truth in advertising. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And another thing, too, you know, this is the album that got them their major label deal. This is the album that kind of pushed it on to, you know, the the next thing. Obviously, you know, uh, when Master Puppets comes out, then they go back and Elektra reissues you know, kill them all, ride the lightning. So you've got some great stuff there. So, I mean, they built a lot off of this album and, you know, like in with, you know, the kill them all's staples of that for the set list too. I mean, there's at least three that you're going to see off this, you know, creeping death, fade to black for whom the bell tolls. You're going to see pretty much every Metallica show too. Yeah. And one thing that's funny is every time I hear Fade to Black now, when it gets to the build-up part, I always think of the, the, the part in the a year, to, year to Life, in the, uh, what is it, A Year and a Half in the Life Metallica, yeah, I love where that. James like you know gets blown up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that, to me, is still burnt into my brain. No, no pun intended. Burnt into his arm. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the uh, and then, of course, the one kind of oddball song that sticks out that uh, is one of James's least favorite things that he's ever done was Escape. Yeah. Like the song. I like it a lot. I didn't ever understood what the funny thing well, was with I that, so but I remember a couple was, years ago they played it. They it had well, deal. they had to because they said yeah. they're gonna play Ride the Lightning in full. Yeah, and people are like, "You really gonna play Escape?" And James was like, "Yeah, reluctantly." Yeah, he said, <laughs> you know? yeah, they, he said they never played it before. And before they even pass all the YouTube video, before they play it, he's like looking at the other guys going. Are we sure there's nothing else we can play? <laughs> you know, he's like, he really did not want to do it. I don't understand. But I guess the the story is that the record label went to him and said, you got to write something more single-worthy, more radio-friendly. <laughs> oh, wow. 
and that's why they wrote it. But, but I don't think that's he that says he wrote it under duress. Yeah. But I mean, it does have a bit more of a poppy sound to it, as poppy as Metallica from 1984 is going to get. Right. But it's a great song, in my opinion. Another thing too, well, you know, can't gloss over the fact that you know Dave Mustaine has two writing credits on this one, also. Yeah. See, so, so the influence of him is still relevant uh you know second album and you know normally you can get away with first album you know because they got rid of them right before they uh you know the album started but how know, pissed off do you think dave mustaine was about that <laughs> i'm sure he was my fat. shit showing up on your next album too you right. well, yeah that, that's what i was i was actually looking at the, at the kill em all stuff he said i guess he had said that he asked them not to put any of his songs on kill em all yeah so if and his songs are showing up on ride the lightning so he was really mad i'm sure yeah. you know, i'm sure he all right, well, those guys chance, are like, but... those are the only songs we got, man. You know. <laughs> Although now he still gets uh, residual checks right. for uh, for Kill 'Em All and Ride the Lightning. I'm yeah. sure he's not, a, not complaining about that. No, but, no, no. But no, I mean, I don't know that there's a clunk around here. I guess Call it the Call of Cthulhu. I'm not super crazy about, but it as an album closer, it makes sense. I think it's cool. album closer, instrumental, and then Cliff does some great like you know basically anesthesia kind of type stuff on that out on that song in the background of uh call it cthulhu where he almost just sounds like he's a monster coming out of a yeah, you know somewhere so yeah that's a cool uh you know his cliff on this album i think was amazing too so yeah. so when we get to 1986 they take a year off from making a record because i'm sure they toured like crazy for a ride yeah. march 3rd 86 master of puppets comes out on electra with Metallica and Fleming Rasmussen producing again, mixed by our friend Michael Wagner, nice. who had a lot of cool things to say about his work on this album. We should definitely maybe do an album's Unleashed on that with him, yeah. because he was a big part of that. Um, this album is a quantum leap in production, in my opinion. This, To this day, as much as I do think the Black Album is produced great, this may be the perfect sounding Metallica album as far as what they were and what represented them at the time. I, I think this is maybe, this is probably them at their peak in my opinion. Yeah, Master Puppets to this day. I mean, you know, you, this is one of those where you see the song Master Puppets when it showed up in like old school and you're sitting there in the theater and you know you're just blown away by how good it sounds and there's so many just great songs in this one again. Battery. You know, comes in with the uh, nice clean intro. Yeah. Probably one of the coolest songs ever written. Master Puppets is great. Yeah. Uh, you know, just this this album. You know, again, you know, I doubt that there's a clunker on this one. I mean, there. There isn't. Not in my opinion. No. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. Looking at the at the track listing, I mean, you've got the it's a perfect album. Perfect album. It really Damage is. Incorporated again. You know, just a just a great fast, almost that that punky element of uh, thrash that you've got there. So. Yeah. Great stuff. this one from when I was a kid and I tell the story about how my Uncle Bruce was selling all his records and buying the new thing, cassette tapes you know and so I, I worked my ass off around the house just to make a buck here and a buck there to take it over to my Uncle Bruce and buy his albums from him so you had this on vinyl. and I had this on vinyl and nice. man I listened to it over and over and over again 
And of course, you got to remember then this is at the time when my friends can't find out I like Metallica. <laughs> so, I, so I'm at home <laughs> yeah, I, during the day. I'm telling people, "Oh fuck, Metallica! The they suck." It's the greatest album. Yeah, right. man. <laughs> <laughs> but at night, man, I was jamming this album and I loved it. I loved all of it. Yeah, I. God, this album is so good. And uh, my my favorite album, song on the album, of course, the, the title track is hard to beat. But uh, Disposable Heroes. Yeah. Um, the fact that it takes like two minutes to get to the first vocal <laughs> and all the twists and turns that the music takes on the intro, it's fucking amazing. And it's ahead of its time, too. Like, um, I was playing... I, I, I hate to equate Master of Puppets with uh, new Metal, but I'm going to. <laughs> if you listen to Disposable Heroes, there's a part where... Like, you, all right, and I'll play... I'll, of course, I'll insert the clip here so you can hear it. You listeners can hear it. But you know the part where they have that effect come in right before you've got the isolated guitar before things kick off, where it sounds like shh, yeah. you know, it's like mm-hmm. kind of a reverse effect, and they go, you know, like the drum beat that Lars comes in with is almost like a halftime drum beat, and it's almost like a new metal groove beat. This is 1986, uh, and you listen to that isolated 30 seconds of this song, <laughs> and you're like, that sounds like what would become new metal. Do you get what I'm saying? No, I got you. I totally yeah. see that. And it's funny, I hear a lot of people <clears throat> kind of revert back to Disposable Heroes as a, you know, this song is our Disposable Heroes, and I've, I've seen and read that a lot, too. Also on this album, you've got, you know, two of some of the most amazing guitar work, I think, that they did, A, being the Master of Puppet solo, Yeah. you know, that's... That's one of the greatest solos that ever, and then also just the the bass breakdown in Orion. You know where yeah. they they come down and they you know they play God of the, like that's. One thing, my funeral, Orion will be played. Orion, right. <laughs> yeah. you do that too, huh? You've heard it here. Yes, I, I do that with my wife. I'm like, that, that like that's a funeral song. It's yeah, like, shut up. That's a funeral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go to my Spotify funeral playlist. <laughs> I should create one of those because I've got like ten songs ready to go. But um, um, one thing that stands out for me on this album too, and like I was talking about being a young kid and listening to it, was the song "Disposable Heroes," uh, "Disposable Heroes," and the lyrics to it. Because before this, I'm listening to Kiss and Poison and Motley Crue and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing and listening to Disposable Heroes and looking at the inner sleeve on the LP and reading the lyrics. Yeah. And just being kind of blown away about, like, what a serious subject matter yeah. it really is and how understandable it was for me to say, wow, these guys aren't singing about partying. Not and they're not all. singing about girls. And they're this is about dying in war and being forced to go out and fight. And I remember... I just I distinctly remember that kind of blowing my mind at that point, thinking, well, okay, so there's a lot more to rock music than yeah. just you know well, what I've been political listening back to back in those days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, very political back then. And then Master of Puppets, you know, is uh, James kind of autobiographical. Cause I'm wondering how much in hindsight that blows him away because I mean he's writing about addiction. Yeah, you know, 
and the whole song is a, basically told from the viewpoint of the addiction. And, yeah. uh, you know, as much as we'll get to St. Anger, and as much as that is in reality <laughs> a recovery album for James, with, especially lyrically, um, this was like, this th- that song in particular, Master of Puppets, is him basically writing from the viewpoint of what is kind of controlling his life at the time. Because they earned that name Alcoholica, and they earned it well <laughs> yes, back in those did. days. Those guys drank like crazy. But, uh, yeah, they, there was nothing that was kind of goofy or silly on Metallica's part back in those days. Master of Puppets is 8 minutes and 36 seconds long. <laughs> that's epic, a, for that's sure. That's insanity, just how... how but it how, never feels that Right, long. no. no. That's, that's, I mean, when I just read that, I was like, oh my god, this song is that long, and it just... You know, it feel, to me it feels like a three-minute pop song. You know, like it's it's in and out. Yeah, and Master and uh, Disposable Heroes and Orion are both over eight minutes, and none of them feel that right. Long. No. Yeah, that, that's back. I mean, like that's the one thing Metallica did. You know, they had eight to ten songs on their album, and but it was a full album's worth of music. You know, where a lot of these bands would have chopped probably Master Puppets in half, created two songs out of those riffs, and and moved on. But uh, you know, you've got some great stuff, and this guitar work on this album is great. Uh, bass playing once again, just you know, top notch. You know, drumming is Lars. Um, you, <laughs> you can't go wrong. I mean, you know, Kirk. I've always enjoyed Kirk Hammett's guitar solos. I mean, I don't. Yeah. I'm not a guitar player, and you know, so I've never been like, oh well, you know, he's not doing the proper pent- pentatonic scale here or anything like that. So, <laughs> so you know, I don't really look at it that way. But I think he's always been a very good, uh, very good, and maybe almost underrated, you know, guitar player. You don't really think of. Kirk Hammett. I don't think you go to Kirk Hammett when you think of, you know, great Top thrash, five, great yeah. thrash Our guitar heroes. solo heroes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's true. And that's the other thing too that you notice talking about the length of the songs. You know, they're not going for hit singles here. Not at all. <laughs> no, I mean the shortest song is five minutes and twelve seconds. Yeah, that's true. Another thing with Lars's drumming too, kind of being like you know, the more I, I listen to it and the more you. you point you know people point out how bad his drumming is i don't think he's a terrible drummer i think his timing's not great but i think that the timing kept in this band is kept on james's right hand i think i think james is honestly like the timekeeper he carries the drummer of the band you know like that's if you know follow james you don't follow lars and i think lars follows james yeah i mean i think that's always been the case you know james kind of basically runs the show musically um, and then everyone else does their thing over time, especially in this day, because you know Cliff was still with him at the time, so Cliff was doing his own thing. But yeah. that's what made the song sound so complete at the time. Was you had a bass player that would be willing to go out and do not pocket playing and yeah. basically just come up with his entire creative bass line on his own, yeah, um, is... which just makes what happened that all the more tragic. Yeah. Because imagine what they could have kept doing if 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 he had lived. You know, right. and not that I'm and I'm not going to talk shit about Newstead, but. Um, to imagine the what if scenario if Cliff had lived and what what decisions they would have made creatively, because from what I gather he had a big input into what they did creatively yeah. at the time. He he was not just like a hired hand guy. He was equal in the decision making process with James and Lars. Right, because you don't get big old bass solos on the albums if you're yeah not. if you if you don't have any power. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I've read a lot. I've I've read two schools of things i've read that injustice for all probably would have happened being you know not jump for too much but injustice for all because it's a very technical record Mm -hmm. uh, you know he was around for the initial writing of that stuff i believe you know so that album would have happened but then a lot of people always say that the black album would have never happened with cliff but a lot of people say that it would have happened that were close to him 
because they, they also know that he was a fan of, you know, simpler stuff. He was a fan of songs, and, and he was, you know, maybe even pushing for a, for some simpler songs, too. So, I mean, they, yeah. a lot of people say it wouldn't have happened, but they're, they're, a lot of people close to Cliff say that that probably would have happened. Um, another thing I want to jump into on this one is this is the last album that Metallica was an opening band. Yeah. Like, the Ozzy tour, I Ozzy. think, was their, their last... Um, yeah. The last time they were the opening band for anybody, aside from when they did the co-headline with Guns N' Roses and played for them, but you've got you know this is the technically their last uh, you know right before they they blow up they do the Aussie tour and then they you know how awesome that must have been what a double bill yeah, yeah. <laughs> although Ozzy was looking like Shelly Winters in those days <laughs> who cares still well, he still awesome. sounded good though and he had uh, was that Jake was that Lee, Jake yeah. E. Lee yeah. still with him at the time eighty six. Yeah, I think so. Either that or right Zach, Zach started around Young Zach. And I do believe Poor that if my, my Metallica timeline lines up is the first time that James breaks his arm skateboarding. <laughs> and he, I believe it was in Evansville, Indiana, and they get John Marshall in. I believe the first show that they played with John Marshall on guitar was here in Nashville, Tennessee at the Municipal Auditorium. I was. Wow. That's funny you mentioned that because I was just going to mention one of my... And this was before I even became a fan of Metallica. Because, like I said, I became a fan when Justice was out, like, 89. Mm -hmm. And, but one of my earliest, my earliest memory ever of Metallica, and I'll never forget this, it was, like, 1986, I guess, when they were touring this record. We had just moved from Illinois to Tennessee, and I was going to bed, and I was falling asleep, and the local news was on. And I remember the last thing they showed on the news that night was, heavy metal band Metallica. Like, we leave you tonight with some footage of heavy metal band Metallica playing at Municipal Auditorium in oh, Nashville. Wow. And they show footage, and it's Cliff on stage, just fucking headbanging like crazy, <laughs> and the crosses are right next to him. Mm -hmm. That's my earliest memory ever of Metallica. Wow, that's so cool. I, I remember seeing, I was 10 years old, and wow. I, I still, I, it's vivid in my mind, because I remember seeing it going, that is different. Like, <laughs> I, it just was so different than what I, anything I'd seen before. I know what really hurts me about this era was years and years and years later looking at like some Metallica tour histories uh -huh. and finding out that they played in Eau Claire, Wisconsin when Cliff Burton was still alive when I was like 12 years old. Oh. I had no idea. I was like, <laughs> yeah, man, if I could go back in time, I'd be like, Dad, please, you know, please take me to Eau Claire. But yeah, you I, almost had no to, way know to know someone that knew when they were playing yeah. if you didn't hear about it on the radio. Oh, don't even get me started on... How trying to find out when your favorite band is going to come through town, yeah, and how you kids these days, <laughs> you know, just uh, get it sent straight to your phone. Yeah, you have no idea how easy you have. Ding, ding, ding! Oh, one of my favorite bands is playing in two weeks. Sweet, how nice! Or how excited you would get when the commercial would come on the radio. Yeah, yeah. back in Nashville. Oh my God! Yeah. Well, actually, the Nashville scene, which you know, you showed me the 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 rock and roll residency Nashville scenes earlier. You know, that was my thing. I would run to the store every Wednesday when they came out. And you flip through and you look at the 328 listing and you look at the, yeah. look, hopefully the Starwood ad had some cool stuff on it. You know, you just never knew. Yeah. yeah, it was actually just... Uh, that. I, yeah. I was at that show myself. Yeah. yeah, I met Peter that night. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was completely a total right place at right time thing on that one. We should talk about that in VIP, but no, nah, yeah, and I got to play that stage. That was fun. Yeah, so, me too. That's cool. The bathroom with all the signatures all over the wall. And then, um, well, just I'll, I'll I'll branch this one on the, you know, with Cliff, you know, they're on tour, they're they're overseas, where they're at Sweden, I believe. Sweden you know, they're in Sweden. Happened. You know, they hit the black ice, 
may or may not have been the the driver driver may or may not have been drinking kind of stuff and you know whatever mixed reports <coughs> you get there but the end result you know cliff passes away in the in the bus accident and you know that that's it's a it's a huge you know loss for everybody and you know it's and that's the whole kind of coming back around to you know people not being able to find out you know when your favorite band is coming i mean his cliff cliff's family didn't know for days that their you know their relative son oh, wow. you know, husband you know not husband but you know friend had passed away and they were finding out you know it was trickling in but you know it's just uh what do you do at that point you know cliff cliff burton to me one of my favorite bass players of all time one of the reasons that i ever picked up a bass was when i got into metallica and went back to their back catalog got into all the stuff that they did you know that's the reason I, that's who i wanted to be like you know watched cliff them all like it was going out of style and it's a great and, video and, yeah. it's, it's it's a cool little like you know, and kind of that punk rock aesthetic too you know they they just put some stuff out there and didn't really care about the quality but i think oh, no. i think yeah, i think, I think it, it turns out to be you know it turns out to be great and that's what you want but i remember watching that watching them you know we're out of beer man and like <laughs> yeah. you know they go and pick up fucking cases and cases of beer and yeah man, for, me and my friends are like oh man i want to grow up and drink just that much and I'm like, yeah, I'm a fucking idiot. i wonder how much money they were making at that time too because they're driving like oh, they some, were like, broke, some like green station wagon you know or whatever. they were famous but they were not rich and famous at yeah, that time so no, not yet <laughs> but you know huge loss to the metal community huge loss to metallica and then uh so you know this is where i kind of wanted to talk about the the garage days ep you know kind of bust into that real quick um, I know we we're going uh, full-on studio albums, but just talk about that one real quick because then you get, you know, newcomer Juice and Juice and Newstead, <laughs> Jason Newstead comes in, you know, out of, uh, you know, uh, Flotsam and Jetsam mm-hmm. comes in, you know, they're they basically just haze the shit out of him, uh, you know, out of him, grief, him, yeah, yeah, out of grief, yeah. and it, it, they, you know, they they go on to say that years later that they never truly grieved, but you know they they uh, they just gave him so much shit they were. You know, from from grief and, you know, they're not just going to let someone walk in and just become instantly famous, too. They were they were going to give him make some him shit. You know, yeah, make him pay his dues. Yeah, because they've been out there paying it to get where they were at. Yeah. So, and he, you know, obviously Flossum and Jetsum hadn't really done anything to that And point. I was going to mention, since you're new to the podcasting world... Um, when we're done here, Aaron and I are going to take you outside and beat the hell out of you. Yeah, exactly. You're right. <laughs> you know, oh, Metallica set a good example. Yeah, so totally. you haven't paid the dues yet. Oh, you think you can just be a blabbermouth because you, know, you get one story, Jack? We, we do that with everybody. We except, do. except for Jimmy Pardo. He beat the shit out of us. <laughs> yeah, he did. Then flew back to Los Angeles. That was a, that was a fun episode. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, you're good. But yeah, it's just, you know, you got that. But then they go on to, to they're going to introduce this new kid, Jason Newstead, into the band, and they go in and record five covers. And, you know, that's one great thing about Metallica is their love of, you know, the, the new wave of British heavy metal, yeah. the new wave of punk, you know, the, or the, their, their love of punk. Yeah. And But they, they wear it on their sleeves. They cover all these great songs. They, you know, they want you to go back and find out where they came from. Mm-hmm. They want you to, you know, know what's going on. So they, I, so, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't have liked Budgie if it wasn't right, right. or That's Diamond Head or, Diamond or Head, you know the Misfits. Yeah. Misfits are, yeah. are probably. I've always uh, joked about that. I've always wondered, like you know, if a, if one of those bands, you know, find out Metallica's covering one of their songs, do so they just like cha-ching, like oh, thank you, yeah. Jesus? It's you know, book sales. a tour. Yeah. I saw it was a uh, Diamond Head. They were. I, I saw a Diamond Head set, and they they played like eight songs, and four of them were. Songs, songs, Metallica, songs Metallica had covered. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I honestly, you could go Metallica to covers. Yeah, right. 
that you, they wrote. You could go to the you could go to a Diamond Head show, and if you didn't know any better, you'd be like, "Is this guy just covering Metallica the whole right. set?" Right. Well, they're playing here in November. Oh, awesome. I'm planning on going. Yeah, I've never seen them live, so I, yeah, I definitely want to see it. But again, you know, but Garage Days, you know, fucking great album. Yeah. It Super is. bass heavy. You know, they're they're showing you that the new guy that they got can play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boy, we're about to change. The right, discussion. and they're going to change that all. all of it. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's it's kind of very punk rock aesthetic. Uh, you know, they're counting off songs, just yelling into the microphones. Their yeah. you know, guitars are being plugged in before the set. You know, it's, it's not polished, but I think it's it's one of my favorite things that they ever did, too. Yeah. At the time, man, I loved it because it reminded me of Kill 'em All. Yep. It yeah, it's very similar like it sound. It would fit with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, yeah, there's nothing to, there's nothing bad that you could say about Garage Day. No. I mean, it's it, I mean, it fits in basically like a studio album. These guys are on us. On a hell of a roll, putting out great music. That's true. So we're, having a, we're having a lot of fun kissing the ass of these kick-ass songs. Oh, That's don't true. worry, it'll change. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's go to 1988, and and Justice for All comes out and recorded at one-on-one recording in Los Angeles, produced again by Metallica and Fleming Rasmussen, and engineered by our friend Toby Wright, who had some really interesting stories to say, especially off mic about the making of this record. Yeah. Um, the amount of time it took to make drum tracks for this album is insane. Uh, three singles released from this, Harvester of Sorrow, Eye of the Beholder, and the one that everyone paid attention to, One. Mm-hmm. Um, released on August 25th in 88, first studio album to feature Jason Newkid. And uh, <laughs> this, was, this album was a game changer for the band. I mean, the One video, when it came out, this took them into the mainstream. And, you know, everybody talks about the Black Album, but this album is what really introduced them to the masses. Totally. And that video in particular. And MTV played the fuck out of that video when it came out. I remember, I, and I'll remember seeing the world premiere of it when it came out. I think it was a Friday, it was after school, and it was at like 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I'll never forget it. It was the first time they ever played it. And me and three friends watched it. Because yeah. it was a big deal that Metallica was doing a video. And then we watched it, and we were like, what the fuck are we watching? Because <laughs> there's all this movie footage mm-hmm. of this mm-hmm. from this movie that we had never seen. And by the way, if you're interested in seeing Johnny Got His Gun after seeing the Metallica video, don't bother. Because <laughs> it's a terrible movie. They clicked the best parts they off did. the video. The vi- it makes a much better music video than it does a movie. The movie sucks. Wow. As big of a Metallica fan as I have seen never, it? Yeah, I never saw it. No, it's, I probably, it's I, awful. I probably would have. I rented it in the 90s just to see, because I was like, I have to see Johnny Got His Gun. Yeah. And I watched it, and I was like, this is terrible. It's just, it's bad acting, it's a bad story, it's... And Metallica ain't yeah. even in it. And they're not. I don't even know where the hell they got the, do you know where they got the inspiration to do that? Like, was no, the song no. written about the movie? I don't even know. Is the movie about somebody that gets well, their think, arms and legs blown yes. off? Yes. Honestly, yeah, I, I think, I think in the end, I think... I'm going to butcher this, and I'm sure, you know, tweet me at talk to me talk whenever this is over and tell me I'm wrong. But I believe someone came along and was like, wow, this is very similar to this movie. Maybe uh, you guys could, maybe you guys could yeah. chop it up and put it in your video. I think that was the story behind the, the one video there, which is crazy, too. You know, you know I, I, all of these albums leading up to this, they were pressured to make videos. They were always told to make videos. I mean, this is the 80s. Like, MTV is playing videos constantly. Oh, right. Master like, of Puppets video. Yeah, Master of Puppets. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're you know, one of the hugest bands on the planet. They're opening for Ozzy. They're, they're doing headlining shows. They're playing Monsters of Rock. They're doing all this crazy stuff, and but yet no videos. And, you know, you keep saying these singles that were released off these albums, but 
no, nobody paid nobody attention. was playing their singles. You know, they right. they they probably were quote unquote singles. Like I said, they were released. I didn't say <laughs> right. they were played. Right. They were released as singles. You know, I'd love to see. You know, the the. There's a DJ going, you didn't give me enough coke this month, I'm not playing this. <laughs> I think a lot of those, you know, one of those bathroom tracks, you know, where, like, the DJs could put the track on and right. go to the bathroom yeah. or go outside and smoke some yeah, weed. Yeah, you think Metallica would be tailor-made for radio for that. <laughs> right. Totally. Call a Cthulhu, here you go, though. I'm going to go smoke well, That's door. why they always used to do the mandatory Metallica. Yeah. Well, here's, you know, fucking Injustice for All, 9 minutes, 44 seconds, you know. Yeah. You, you can go and, you know, take a shit and come back for that one. That could be one of your there. Yeah. But with this album... To me, is you know, it. This one stands out to itself to me it, because obviously the bass is not there. You know, it's supposedly there, but it's not there. But it, you know, the sound of this album is so precise. It could have what a bass would have sounded like on this album might have even muddied <coughs> it up a little bit. You know, maybe they actually made the right decision no. here and yeah. you know made this precise. You know, just uh, so it's not, it's it's like a machine. It's almost like what we were talking about earlier, maybe like a Megadeth album well, or something, you know. It's... I will quote Toby on this one because, you know, we confronted him about this when we interviewed him. And we were said, you know, what's the deal with this? Because, you know, there's even people that are making alternate mixes mm-hmm. where they've asked, added a bass track that they recorded themselves. And yeah. it's called Injustice for Jason. <laughs> and uh, he got a good laugh out of that, dude. And he said, from what he remembered, they did a bass track for it. It sounded good. It was nice and full in the mix. And then James and Lars came in to listen and do a, like a review session. And they heard it and they said, no matter what we say, the bass has to be 2 dB lower mm-hmm. than what we tell you. Like bar- They told him, bury the bass guitar. Yeah. I don't know what their motivation was other than you know maybe it was part of the hazing. Maybe it was like, we're going to record a record with you and not put you on it. I don't know. That hurts yourself more than a It does. Because, yeah, this laugh. album could sound monstrous yeah. with a fat bass line, to, you know, on all the songs. But, Picking it up. But, I mean, it's a great record regardless. I mean, it really says how good the songwriting is on it because it's got a lot of good tracks on it. I will say, I do think there are some clunkers on this album. All right. Um... I think To Live Is To Die was kind of a waste of time on I mean, it, it's okay, but it's just an instrumental, and it was kind of like, we have to fill ten minutes, so yeah. let's put this song on here. Yeah. Um, I'm not a fan of Eye of the Beholder. Um, I don't... I, I'm not saying... And I'm not saying these songs suck, but I'm just <laughs> saying they're a bit more filler than, than what you've heard on previous Metallica records. Because, like, Master of Puppets, every one of those songs sounds like it serves a purpose on that record, but right. those two in particular I don't like. Um... But everything else I love. I mean, Blackened is a perfect opener for, yeah, for that is. album. I mean, it's great. Um, of course, One is amazing. Uh, the Shortest Straw is one of my favorite songs they've ever done. Yeah, yeah. totally. Uh, Freight Ends of Sanity is amazing. Yes. Even All seven minutes and 40 seconds of it, too. is like, you look at that <laughs> on the... When you look at it in black and white, you're like, damn, but does it have to be that long? But... But again, I never skip it. Yeah, yeah, they don't. They don't seem like they'd be that long. Like you might hesitate to put that on your iPod because it's going to take up more space. But yeah. you put it on there, and it just seems like oh, seven minutes. Holy shit! You yeah, know, it goes by go? fast. Um, 
Um, and then Dyer's Eve is a great way to close the record. So, I mean, it's a great record. It's not a perfect album, but I think it's a great album. Damn close. I think you've got two of the best things on here. You know, one being, like, Dyer's Eve is, you know, the whole dear mother, dear father. You know, yeah, it's yeah, just like, yeah. it's like just from start to finish, one of the fastest, heaviest songs yeah. that, that, that they've ever done. And, you know, to go back to Master of Puppets, it's kind of like that Damage Incorporated, you know, the ending of the, the album it's just, you know, it's going to bludgeon you to where you want to, you know, basically start it over. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Harvester of Sorrow, you know, it's got that just that awesome groove to it. Right. And, yeah. and that, that little intro riff. one thing Metallica was is great at early Metallica is great at intros like they were yep. kings of the intro yeah band. always an amazing intro you know that's what you you had to have like and they could do it to where they had a you know a, a whole two minute intro oh they'll milk it for yeah. everything it's worth yeah because yeah. you're Metallica you're, you're a fan you're listening to this and now you're flinching a little bit yeah. you're waiting for that punch to come you know <laughs> yeah. and all of a sudden it gets to be like two minutes in and you're like all of a sudden, you're like, you're down, your hands are down, you're like, yeah, okay, okay, this is wham, right in the face. Oh, like you a, son of bitches, you got me again. It's like an audio horror movie. Yeah, yeah exactly. You're, you waiting, you're on the edge of your seat, getting ready to get punched in your face. <laughs> and then the Japanese bonus track was The Prince, which, which is one of the best oh, yeah. covers they ever yeah. did by Diamond Super Head. cool. Yeah, that's a great song. Another thing back to the bass, there's mm-hmm. actually two things back to the bass. I did a record with Steve Thompson um, early. Uh, I guess that was early 2000s yeah. and before he was even out of his taxi yeah. I'm like where's Metallica. the bass where's the bass and Justice for All and he, was like, and he did the whole thing he was like well it's two dBs lower yep. um, I had heard too that I mean you also had James and Lars were flying back and forth during the mixing of this album because they were already on I believe the Monsters of Rock uh-huh. and so you basically you've got James and Lars mixing the record so you're gonna get Drums and guitar, or drums yeah, and rhythm guitar. That's their focus. You know, that's what right. they're going to kind of focus on too. But if you watch the one video, uh, watch Jason in the one video. He's playing the ba- like these bass lines that you've never heard in your life. That's true. You know, like you're seeing his fingers do and things. I, you're like I don't hear it. And I remember getting yeah. like tab books as a kid, and the tab books for one were having these crazy bass lines. Oh, were they trying to figure out yeah, what he would have played? what he was doing there, and you're like, <laughs> it, it, you know, you're doing all these like crazy walks under everything. And you're like, what's going on? He here? was There's, doing something. Yeah, he must have been doing something, but yeah, it definitely wasn't there. That's cool that you that you pestered Steve Thompson about, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> him and Toby were the two engineers yeah. on that record. You yeah. know, speaking of the one video, you know, and this being the finally after all this time of them guys holding out, they're coming out with a video. What was their reason for not wanting to do a video? Was it just to be because we don't want to be like Motley Crue? Yeah, they were like, the, like we're not going to sell out to the corporate entity mm. MTV and do that. And wasn't there also a thing where they said they wouldn't sell their albums in Walmart, and they ended up eventually doing it around this time too? Maybe I'm not hmm. sure about that, but they were big like anti corporations. Yeah, they were almost like Pearl Jam before Pearl Jam. Yeah, right. You know, they didn't go. They didn't fight wars against Ticketmaster, but they were they were kind of on that same mindset. Well, they got some wars to fight. Yeah. <laughs> oh coming. God. That's, what's that's coming up? Are we getting into that? Well, it's coming up. It's part of Metallica history. Oh boy. And the last the last thing on, on Justice for All. Yeah. Like the coolest, one of the most memorable riffs of all time is that outro to one. You know, mm-hmm. to where you you go to any hockey game, insane. football game. You know, it's like, you know, and the crowd's just going. It's a masterpiece. 
And the, oh, the other thing I want to get into on this album too is is with the guitar and the and the lack of bass and to where you know you were talking about Metallica might have even been a precursor to new metal. Yeah. I think this album is a precursor to metalcore. I think that really? you know because you you hear so much stuff. Uh, you know this the the clicky bass drums and the you know very heavy just all guitar tones because I mean a lot of metalcore stuff you don't hear That's there's true. no bass on that either too so I mean you've got a lot of that you know technical integral guitar work and, right you know th- this is a precursor to a lot of stuff yeah the like last that. the last two minutes I guess of one is just <laughs> so fucking bombastic yeah <laughs> and I love what they did on the uh, the death the uh, Death Magnetic tour where they did the in the round staging mm-hmm. with the bombs going off during yeah. Yeah. during that last two minutes and they had bombs going off on like the accent and that's another thing we have to give Lars credit for Lars always knew when to throw these big cymbal crashes in <laughs> in certain yeah. songs or these tom fills that he would do in certain parts where other bands would not think to do that but he would always do it and it would make the song that much more grand sounding Mm-hmm. You know, he was he was a mat. He definitely almost as he's like a drummer, but he's like a songwriter. He has a vision for how the song could be bigger and badder, and like he right. would do things in, within the song on the drums. And when you watch him, he's playing. He's back there singing his ass off while mm-hmm. he's playing too. Yeah. And I think that that's probably part of it too. Is like maybe not in his voice, but right. in his heart, he's a singer. And so <laughs> to be able, I don't to think be able I want to hear Lars sing, right? But to be able to you know feel that you yeah. know how the how the lyrics and the vocals should should punch here, punch there, right. you know that's that affects his drumming, I think too. And so that adds a lot of uniqueness to the way Lars drums and the final song that he delivers on this stuff. And it's a strange combination with him and James because it's typically guitar singer, guitar mm-hmm. singer, you know, yeah. Richards and Jagger, Perry and Tyler, you know, eight Fraley and Stanley. Mm-hmm. But the, in this case you've got a drummer and a guitar player. Yeah. It's not that's not really normal. That's kind of uh, a little strange, but like I said, Lars seems to have as big a vision for the song as James does, which is why they, those two wrote most of the songs together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, for a band, for a band's drummer to be almost the focal point, and he's not even the best player in the band, has got to be, you know, an amazing feat. Well, he kind of is Metallica. Yeah, exactly. Totally. He's the mouthpiece and everything. Yeah. The vision, you know, all the. You know, I'm sure we'll get into the Napster stuff, but you know, you get all that stuff. He was the out in front of Metallica, even though James is up there, and he he can control the crowd in the stadium. Mm-hmm. Lars maybe controls the crowd outside the stadium, you know, through the media and things like that. Yeah, Lars is the he's the face the face and the voice of the band outside the, the business the side. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that brings us up to 1991. You know, this is a huge. They put a record time. out in 1991. Yeah, they sure did. I didn't know that. And this is a huge time in the acceptance of metal music. Because at this time, I gotta believe that, you know, with Metallica and some of the other bands that are coming out with huge albums around this time, that I don't think metal was ever probably more accepted than it was in nineteen ninety one. Because they're getting the awards, they're getting the they're getting played on the radio, you know, all this stuff that hadn't really happened to them previously. And like you say, that's a huge testament to what had gone on with Injustice for All and the one video. So that was just the launching pad for this, and this is one of the hugest albums ever. Yeah, if you thought they sold out with the one video, you were in for a treat when <laughs> this album came out. And this album just absolutely blew my mind. I mean, you know, we were talking about, you know, this album is my introduction to the to Metallica. 
because of my age, I was 12 when this album came out. I'd kind of grown up 8, 9, 10 years old listening to Kiss, getting into, you know, Destroyer and Double Platinum and all that stuff, and, and not really getting too much into the hair metal. Um, I talk a lot about it on my show, but I always say that I wanted to be a musician really bad, but then I saw Poison, and then I saw Motley Crue, and I was like, well, if you got to wear makeup and look like a hot chick... There was no, ch- I had no chance. So, <laughs> so you look okay with some makeup. <laughs> so it actually, it actually, you know, deterred me from you playing. Get rid music. of the, uh, the goatee and yeah. all, but, but I do like the pink zebra striped spandex you're wearing right yeah, now. Right, no, that's I, pretty cool. No, I, that was back then. I'm not talking about now. Now, you know, <laughs> why are you wearing that? Technically, actually, guys, I hate to break it to you, I'm Vinny Vincent. Oh, I told you it was going to happen, Aaron. <laughs> Finally. It's not April, but hey, it works. <laughs> but no, I mean, I was 12 years old. This album comes out, you know, and MTV blows it up. You know, I think I was, you know, at my friend's house. We were, I grew up poor, so we didn't have cable at the house. So I was at my friend's house. We're watching Inner Sandman come out, and, and all the stuff is just going on. And, and, you know, and this album just completely changes the course of my life. And that's not even... Uh, scratches the surface of what this album means to me so yeah i think i must have been around junior high that time and everybody had it everybody had it. i think everybody had this and everybody had uh um the decade album by motley Crue. Mm-hmm. oh decade yep, of decadence decade of decadence those were the two albums at this time i think that everybody i knew had a copy of yeah both of those were huge I remember when this came out being confused because they were just calling it Metallica and at the time I just, you know, being young and everything and not knowing a lot about music, just assumed that you only did that for your debut album. Oh really? And I was confused yeah. of why why would they be doing this now? I mean they've all shouldn't to kill them all have just been called Metallica? It's because they're then, starting over. Yeah, I guess. Horrible stuff. No. Um, oh, wow. This is a big turn. Cool, like, <laughs> that's a cool theory. I like, yeah. that. I like that. No, it's the new Metallica. I, I was the same way. And, like, you know, I was, let's see, 91. I was 15. 15 when this came out. And I guess I was too young and the internet hadn't been invented, so I wasn't jaded yet. And yeah, I wasn't exactly. right. I wasn't in the mindset of, um, if this doesn't sound like Master of Puppets, it sucks. And we um, didn't grow up in that era either. No, so I was like, yeah, I was new to the band, and this was the first new album that came out while I was a fan. Yeah. So I loved it, and uh, Enter Sandman came out, and it didn't seem that un. To me, they were already a big deal with one, mm-hmm. and I was like, they're already a big band because MTV played the shit out of that video. Right. Um, and then this came out, and Enter Sandman just blew up, and everyone I knew had the, had this record. Mm-hmm. Even people that weren't like rock fans bought this record. Yeah. Yeah. It just because you were supposed, it's like you were supposed to buy it. And the video, if you didn't want to be an outcast, well, the video for <laughs> Enter Sandman must have been played. I don't know how many times a day, but a it lot. was it was pretty insane how mu- how much it got airplay. But I and every time it came on, I watched it. Yeah, yeah it's funny to think back back then because now you think. Enter Sandman, it's like, uh, you know. Oh, I don't even I've like heard it, it now. I've heard it a million times, yeah. you know, but a, shit, I'm man. Still the, burned out the on first it. time you've seen the video, you're like, holy oh, shit. I loved it you at know, first. This I'm not gonna lie. is awesome. Yeah. And this was, um, well, let me do my official thing. Released August 12, <laughs> 1991. Recorded October 6, 1990 through June 16, 1991. At one on one recording studios, their first album with Bob Rock and the production thing. But I, I love how honest they get on the, the liner notes. It's Bob Rock, James Hetfield, and Lars Ulrich, not Metallica. <laughs> right. It's those three that produced this record. Oh, totally. Um, if you and if you uh, are the three fans of this show that have not seen a year and a half in the life of Metallica, the documentary about the making of this record, 
go to our Amazon link and buy it because it is like one of the most engrossing documentaries you will ever see about the making of a record. Yeah. Well, they did that stuff back then. I mean, that's, you know, 90, 91, 92, when, I, when the year and a half of the Life of Metallica documentary came out mm-hmm. that Christmas, because I got it for Christmas that year. Uh, you know, two VHS set. You know, you sat there, you watched yep, all of it. Two tapes. You know, which is great because the first cassette was all studio. Yep. And then, and then ma- the live and then stuff they, after. At the, very, at the very end of the first tape, they fade out of them walking on stage for the first show of of the Black Album yeah, and tour. Then cover the tour, and then the second, you know, the second yeah. video is the. It's uh, a great tour. document. You know, and and at that time, you know, who was doing that at that time? You know, right. not not only you know doing a, you know, just a behind the scenes thing, but doing a cameras are following for a year and a half I oh mean, even you know. even my wife who despises metal music doesn't ever <laughs> and never listens to it yeah i've watched that year and a half in the life and every time i watch it she'll watch it with me because she loves it that well made yeah, yeah. oh it's great because it's got all the fighting on it and mm-hmm. stuff it's got bob rock going you know i'm sick of listening to you guys bitch and i'm not going to produce this and, almost like reality yeah. tv before reality yeah. tv and my favorite part of course is James's voice is shot. He's like, he's his voice is completely fried, yep. and they're trying to get like basically a drum take, and they're playing. You know, James and Kirk would play along with Lars to get his drum take, and Lars would go, "This would be so much better with vocals." And James is like, "You want a vocal? Go sing it." And Lars is like, "Come on, James, just one vocal. Come on, man." And he's like, "My fucking voice is shot, Lars." He's like. I wouldn't ask you to do a drum roll if your arm was broken. <laughs> and they all crack up laughing and stuff. But it's just, it's it's a really awesome behind the scenes view. And like some kind of monster is cool um, as a document of the recording of Saint Anger, which of course we'll get to. Um, Unfortunately. But this is it's. Have you have you guys both seen a day and a half or a oh, year yeah, and a half? It's been a long time. It is so awesome to watch. It's just it's completely behind the scenes. Lon Friend shows shows up mm-hmm. from Rip Magazine, and he's got all these porn videos and magazines, and you know Lars is like, Lon, why do you bring all this shit with me? And, you know he's like, Code of the Road, man, and you know to watch like Madonna <laughs> get naked on videotape and stuff. It's it's just amazing. Lon and, you know, awesome. Lars is throwing dart, you know, darts at a dartboard with a poster of Kip Winger yeah. on it. And die, Kip. You know, which, which is you know they always. Winger will go back and attest that there's like two moments. There's that moment, you know, yeah, to where, and, and then the Beavis and Butthead thing. Yeah, we talked to Paul Taylor about yeah, that. Yeah, so that's crazy. Yeah, they didn't appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. No, I spoke that. And, that. and that too, I mean, that was a time where, you know, like, Talia could co-sign and say, you guys need to check out Budgie, you need to check out the Misfits, you need to check out Diamond Head. But they could also throw a dart at Kip Winger, and you're like, well, fuck Kip Winger, you know, this, yeah. <laughs> fuck all this shit. They were very influential in, it, and in it was, so many ways. Yeah. yeah. And that was, you know, we've been talking about singles all the way up to now, but these... Every single was a hit. Are single. Every one of them. You know, there's five singles. There was five videos off of this album. That's, yeah. you know, that's insanity. You know, you got Inner Sandman, Sabbath True, The Unforgiven, Wherever I May Roam, Nothing Else Matters. It's, you know, and that's, you know, Nothing Else Matters is what we've been talking about. We're, you know, Fade to Black and, you know, Batteries intro and, uh, you know, Welcome Home Sanitarium. All that stuff is, is, is slowly bringing you into, even one is bringing you into a full start-to-finish ballad. Well, the thing, yeah. the, and this is crazy enough on its own, just by the singles, this tells you how big this album was. The first single, Inner Sandman, was <laughs> released July 29th, 1991. The fifth and last single was Sabbath True, released February 8th, 1993. Wow. Almost two years later, 
They were still releasing singles from this record. And that was still yeah. huge. I mean, I remember... That is this, massive. You know, the Savage True video being huge, too. I, they milked this album for everything yeah. they could. Well, and the Unforgiven, that was, you know, that was, they played the hell out of that, too. Yeah, huge. That, I think that was the first Metallica song that I ever really, truly got sick of. Oh, really? <laughs> was like, the I've Unforgiven. <laughs> it's like, oh, man, you know, it's like, all this time that, you know, Metallica's been so good, and then now... You know, and I think a lot of this album is where a lot of Metallica fans kind of fell off. Yeah, they jumped yeah. off the, the bandwagon. But if this album didn't do it, yeah, what's coming up next yeah, definitely yeah. will. <laughs> well, we should spend some time on this oh, one. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. definitely. But yeah, of course, the first record they did with Bob Rock. And I have to give Bob Rock credit on this one. He kept the bass in because he appreciates bass playing. <laughs> you can't, in my opinion, and maybe I'm not, I'm, I'm a, it's funny because I'm a Ramones fan and I, I'm fine with sparse production. But you can't produce a metal album better than the the way this was produced. Oh no, this yeah. is this is one of the most amazing sounding records of all time. It's I mean, to to where now you can you know there's so many times I'll still hear, well you know their next album they're gonna write their their black album or or you know they could write the next black album. Yeah, and not not it's talking about you know not talking about Metallica. You can talk about you know whatever current band you're listening to now, and then be like, oh man, this is gonna be their black album and. You know, so many crazy things. And another thing on this album, too, is like even, uh, you know, they always talked about where they kept these just libraries of riffs on tapes and everything else. And Kirk Hammett, you know, wrote the majority of Inner Sandman, and he said he wrote mm -hmm. that during the Ride the Lightning sessions. Like oh, that, wow. that, that riff. Oh, those, I didn't know that. Yeah, those riffs have been around for that long. So, I mean, you know, if you think they sold out and they were writing <laughs> radio hits, you know, they I guess they were doing it uh, the whole time. I just crack up the whole selling out yeah. business because like the bands don't know you know they're just writing stuff out of their head yeah. right they don't it's not like it's not like kirk sat there that night and came up with that riff and goes well you know i may be selling out <laughs> with this riff he doesn't think that he's just like that's a cool riff right because it is a cool riff yeah. and it's a great song but he's but not thinking that the fans are what, gonna hate me for it's this. what the it's what the radio or even even more than the radio it's what mtv does with it that makes them yeah. appear like they're but selling the band, out because they're yeah. They're in steady rotation now, right along with the bands that they made fun of. The bands don't realize what's going to be a hit or not. Everything yeah. they write, they think is going to be a hit. I mean, if you're talking about like selling out, I think you would have written twelve. Nothing else matters. Like if you list, like break down, and you know, to now, now if you put in the black album, you're like, oh my god, it's a black album. It's overplayed. Blah blah blah. But you listen to those non-single tracks. And you're gonna yeah. get blown away through the never, through the yeah. never. What a holier, holier than thou. I mean, yes. that's a slamming riff. But yeah. even Wolf don't tread on me. Yeah. yeah, all that stuff, man. And then you get into if you actually break down "Sad but True," that riff is just "Sad but heavy. True" is a monstrous mm -hmm. guitar. Riff. You know, it's, and it's you know one of their one of their only detuned riffs. You know, I mean, they they yep. drop tune that one. You know, at the time and. It's so much it's just yep. amazing stuff. And then that album. that footage from a year and a half in the life of Metallica where. Uh, James is actually recording the bass part on that, and it, like the lowest part of yeah. it, it's tuned way down and on the, the, you know, the old school Dan Electro bass. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he's getting that. Dun, dun, dun. He's a, <laughs> even he goes ha ha when he hears it. Yeah. He's like that's badass, you know. It's like you know, it's like I don't know that I would call that a band selling out. It's like they're just uh, going for the greatest tone and sound they can go for, and they and pretty like, well hit it. Yeah, yeah they, they were just like, we don't have to be a thousand miles an hour all the time. We can actually get a riff and just really, you know, hone in on that riff and yeah. just make it have a lot of punch. 
Which, that's what this album has, is tons of punch. Right, it's like Bob Rock figured out a way to make every single instrument have bombast and, you know, oomph behind it. Yep. Without overshadowing any of the other instruments. It's like they're all powerful yeah, they're all in their own fun. setting. Even but the then bass. together, yeah, even the bass. Yeah. It, together, it becomes this amazing oh, it's thing. it's monstrous sounding. It's just a great sounding record. Reaching up for something and you got the feel. While clutching to what you and that was real. And it is tough, and I think you guys are right. When you you think about it, you think, oh, God, the Black Album. How many times have I heard those songs? But, man, you put this thing on beginning to finish, especially if you you haven't heard Enter Sandman on the radio in a while, and I'm guessing <laughs> nowadays they probably don't play it as much as they used to, you I know? I still hear it a lot. But, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Hey, hey we're, we're into podcasts, guys. We don't listen to the radio. That's what true. Are we talking? Hey, what am I saying? I'm I don't just, listen yeah, to the radio. Edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> But really, from beginning to finish, this is another album that's really damn good, and almost—I'd say—almost another complete perfect album. Yeah, I don't in know a different those... vein than some well, of the earlier stuff, but still on its own, these songs are all freaking awesome. Yeah, I can't—I can't look at it, and I mean, it's also very romanticized with me because this is my coming into Metallica, you know, and the been. the you know ninety one, ninety two, ninety three, uh, all I wore were Metallica shirts. Every single poster on my wall was a Metallica poster. You know, it was it was nonstop. That's all I listened to. Um, I even had like a band at this time. You know, all we played was Metallica songs. We didn't play originals. We didn't play Megadeth. We didn't play Anthrax. We played Metallica. So I mean, like like to me, it's hard for me to to find a clunker on this one. Um, you know, that, because it's just that that gateway and that uh, you know that's that's my romanticized version of this album yeah well, and a lot of these songs maybe not thrash classics but i mean again you talk about metallica influencing other genres of rock and metal this album's got a lot of groove to it mm-hmm. a lot of groove oh yeah and i mean the funny thing is is like a lot of people give bob rock shit for commercializing the band it's like it wasn't even his call to have Inner Sandman be the single. Right. He, he thought Holier Than yeah. Thou should be the single. Yeah. You know, lo- basically beat him over the head with the first song. Yeah, he was. I loved his where he sits down and he's like trying to, and he's even like trying to talk them into Holier Than Thou, and he's like, you know, you got to get it. Ah! He's just yelling at them, and you know, like, oh, it's, which it was funny because I mean they released five songs off this album as singles. Mm-hmm. None of them are Holier Than Thou. No. You know. That probably could have been they probably the did sixth. that just because yeah, of right. Bob Rock. So, and you know that's it was a huge step for them to go with Bob Rock on this too. I mean, you know, up to this point, you know, Bob's doing Molly Crew and stuff like that. And yeah, but uh, they heard Doctor Feelgood, yeah. and Lars went to him and said, "I want that sound for yeah. our next record." Because that had the same thing where it's all the, the instruments and the vocals yep. and everything were powerful in mm-hmm. their own right, but then together, it's the same. It's production. got that over the top. Just bombast yep. is what I always call it because it's just that's why it's yeah, a boom. Doctor Feelgood's not Motley Crue's best album by a long shot, but it's their best sounding. It's their album. best sounding yeah. album, yeah. yeah. And that's you could say the same thing about this too. I think it's not their best album, but it is definitely one of their best sounding. Yeah, albums. and then like the timing was perfect. You know, like the songs they put out, the Unforgiven. If you put that out in eighty five, eighty six, fans probably been like, "What the fuck is this?" Right. Yeah. But in ninety one, it was perfect timing. And you know what the saddest part about this is, you know, they broke up right after this album and, and never did anything else, so... That's true. Well, that brings us to the end of our show. Thanks, guys. 
no. what they did something else unfortunately <laughs> no um but no uh, I, I do think it's funny how uh nothing else matters was considered like something james was scared to death to bring to the band and like he i think he wrote it like in his private time and he just was playing it for himself or something and lars heard it one day i think it was lars and was like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna record this. And James was like, no, we're not. He's like, oh, yes, we are. <laughs> so I mean, they had an eye on at least Lars had an eye on like that's gonna be a hit. Yeah. yeah. And, and it was good timing. Although to this day, I am so sick of that song. I immediately change the station anytime <laughs> that song comes on the radio. Yeah, it's probably is one of my least favorite Metallica it's not songs a bad just because song, you hear it so much. But it's been God MTV ran that one into the ground. Yeah. I well, can even still envision all of the behind the scenes footage from the the video like <laughs> exactly. i have it it's burned into my memory yeah the other thing on this album too you know the covers we got to talk about they did so what as a bonus track on this one yeah. and as, yes. a, as, <laughs> as a 12 13 year old kid you hear so what yeah. you know, you, oh man like you 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 almost have to listen to that one in your room really really you know on one or two with your head up next to the speakers yeah. you know if your parents hear that you're pretty much we had fun playing that on the show oh yeah, yeah. we're like we're gonna play a song where you can say cunt and i think we said cunt like 28 times before we <laughs> what's it. what's crazy <laughs> like you know that being an anti-nowhere league song and you know that's one of those you go back and listen to the original version and you're like this song is terrible like right. why, did, yeah. why they, would you cover the song it. and then you know and then they also did stone cold crazy which is probably from the oh. queen the, the queen that's uh, Tribute, an amazing cover. Also, yeah. another, just another amazing, great, uh, great cover. Metallica's covers, you know, always have been great. Well, they I don't take, know. Most of the time, they take the covers and rock them out. Well, you know, they did really cover Fifty Third and Third by the Ramones, and uh, I'm sorry, but that one sucks. <laughs> that was in that funny era, though. That funny sounding <laughs> so, era. Yeah, but. 53rd and 3rd does not need to be a metal song. It needs to be a punk song. I thought it was kind of cool. Ugh, I hated it. <laughs> All right. Don't All need right. to be I mean, it, So now we got Metallica, and they're their most accepted, their most popular. They're, they've really got it going on in the world. the world. And then 1996 Nin- 96, comes along. 96, so five years after the release of the Black Album. Yeah, so they rode that out as far as singles and touring and the popularity of it unending yep. for so long that's that's a hell of a they, thing they also in that period the 93 was metallica's live shit binge and purge box right, yeah. a great you know great packaging and everything else and I saw them tour yeah, behind them. and yeah and that's when i saw that was actually the first time i saw them live was at starwood amphitheater yep candlebox candlebox suicidal, suicidal tendencies nice. and i was so pissed because allison chains couldn't be there yeah and then they made then Metallica made fun of Allison Chains on stage. <laughs> really? So, yeah. They started playing Man in the Box, and then James was like doing this, like smacking. Oh yeah, his arm. I remember that. Oh, and I was like, wow. "You're a fucking asshole, James." So you but, got? Yeah, I was a big Allison Chains. So basically, you know, you got you got the Black <laughs> Album. They're they're killing it on that to '93. '93 rolls around. They put out the live shit binge and purge. They tore on that. I mean, they could they can just they're milking it. I mean, you know, they they spent the first eight years of their career put up five landmark albums, mm-hmm. and then they, uh, you know, they they basically just are on the road for the next, what is this, five years yeah. straight. Yeah. And somewhere along the lines, they, they're rock and roll millionaires <laughs> so now. You know, exactly. their life has changed for Metallica. Now they're not young and struggling anymore. Now they're now they got leaders. nothing to prove. Now they they're on top of the world. So where can you go when you're on top of the world? They went to Plant Studios in Sausalito, California, and got together with Bob Rock again on Electra Records and put out Load. Happily uh, titled Load. Well, I don't know. I'm a little more forgiving on this record than you guys probably will be. 
I do like a handful of songs on this record. Yeah. Certainly, anything they put out was going to pale in comparison to the Black Album, because that album was perfect timing. Um, their sixth studio album sold 680,000 units in its first week, the biggest opening week for Metallica and biggest debut of 1996. Yeah. Spent four consecutive weeks at number one on the Billboard 200 chart, certified five times platinum by the RIAA for shipping five million copies in the U.S. Four singles, Until It Sleeps, Hero of the Day, Mama Said, and King Nothing were released. And, uh, but some people thought the band should have changed their name to Hard Rockica at the time. <laughs> Because this is a, this album does not have a lot of metal on it. No, it really um, don't. So, I'll just let me go first. Yeah. Um, there's a few songs on this album I really like. I think "Ain't My Bitch" is a decent album opener. I like it. It's certainly not going to rival "Fight Fire with Fire" as far as metal goes. <laughs> or um, openers. Until it sleeps, got a lot of hate. I honestly like that song. I think it's got a cool vibe to it. It, it would have been great if it wasn't a band called Metallica putting it out. King Nothing is okay, got overplayed. Hero of the Day, I think, is an actually well-written song mm-hmm. and gets a lot of hate, but shouldn't. Um, that's pretty much it. Everything else I don't really like, um, and especially the Outlaw Torn. I think that song blows. <laughs> you guys, go ahead. I mean, for me, I mean, I like a lot of those songs you listed. I really, really like Poor Twisted Me. That's okay. I think that's got a cool vibe to it. But I think one thing you guys are kind of leaving out leading into this is the haircuts. The haircuts, haircuts, man. That did a lot to her Metallica. Yeah. (laughs) Because I just remember seeing the video for Until It Sleeps, you know, and it's like, finally after all this time, it's like, okay, I'm a Metallica fan. I can admit it. It's cool. You get excited because Metallica's got new music they're working on. You're thinking, all right, you know, we're going to get some more of the kind of Metallica we're used to. And then that video really kind of jacked it up because yeah because it was so makeup and stuff yeah yeah it's really weird you know it's way different than what you expect out of metallica like this is like somewhere the dude that that gave them major props for never coming out with a video is going see i told you this is where it would end up at if you start out by making videos next thing you know you're dressing like cindy lopper in your videos what happened yeah see it all starts with making videos way to go mtv you killed metallica this is one album when we talked about doing this episode and to where you know where you look back on the black album and you're like it's overplayed you know and you don't want to hear entertainment ever again in your life but you put it on you're like wow this is actually really good and and this is this to where this album to me it's like load is a piece of crap you don't ever want to listen to load it's where they changed up but then you go back and you listen to hero of the day king nothing and Mm -hmm. those songs that are like stables on the radio now you're like you know what those songs aren't really that bad but i think what happened with me and i'll give you my personal opinion on this one is this is 96 so 91 i was 12 listening to getting into metal getting into all the stuff metallica blows my mind five years later i'm 17 yeah corn has come out deftones are out you know you're getting like fear factory you're getting all this like you know this you know the new metal things kind of taken off a little bit you know to where my my musical tastes changed a little bit from the from the hardcore and the metal to to over into you know trip pants and not trip pants but like you know jinkos and you know adidas stuff and and so you get 
but so Metallica comes out with this. They change their logo. They change their look. <laughs> like they did. They, the, the album cover is blood and semen mixed up. Like, yeah, it's you know, a terrible like, album cover. Every, everything that you could do wrong on this album, they, they did. did. Like yeah. there's, you're starting with the like "Ain't My Bitch." You know, at that point, you're like, "What the hell is he doing?" You know, where? I, I, I kind of like that song. He he overemphasizes the. Cha. He starts doing yeah the whole yeah. Cha. Cha. he started that on this album and this yeah. is where you know like, and then, right. uh, is that Bob Rock's decision I don't know I think he starts really like James James's lyric writing really goes into this like where we're gonna really get into later with with the next couple albums and he gets real punny he gets way into puns like two by four he's trying too hard to be like, clever yeah he was you know doing those little play on words and and to where he, you know at this point Metallica's on top of the world, you know, why can't James sit down with someone else and be like, go over my lyrics, see what you can think, get a ghostwriter, get something, you know, like, not that his lyrics have always been genius, but just when he starts getting into all these puns and stuff, you're just, it just kind of threw it off for me. But but going back to listen to this after so many years not listening to it, it wasn't terrible. I, you know, Hero of the Day, still I still remember liking that song when it came mm, out. I did too. And yeah, the video I, was kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah, the video was. <laughs> it's like a black and white western. I think it's one of those albums in like retrospect where you can look back on it and you kind of know where they're at today and kind of where they went. You know, because at this point when this album comes out, this is the the first new music after the black album, and this is what you get. Right. And you're like, ugh. One thing that bothers me about it is, and this is, and they would continue this with the next two albums, was like they would get into like they would come up with the, what they would call a bluesy rock riff and they would just sit on it mm-hmm. and they would just extend it out for six minutes and it, and it would never go anywhere <laughs> and like one thing I always loved about Metallica is they would take a riff and they would turn it inside out and they'd change tempo mm-hmm. and they'd take like the third note from that riff and start it again and do it on the fifth note and like they would take something and yeah it would be the same thing but they would twist it around and Lars would do different drum patterns on it, and that's what made Metallica Metallica. Yeah. But on this older stuff from the '90s, they would do, they would find a riff that they liked, they just sit on it for six minutes, and it's like, I know you guys want to be bluesy rock, but it's like I'll listen to Aerosmith from the '70s if I want to hear this stuff. Right. Yeah. I don't want to listen to Metallica do it. We know your guitar player looks a lot like Carlos Santana, ah! but <laughs> oh shit! Well, they, you say blues Metallica. <laughs> Another thing I was thinking about on this this period of Metallica too is you you go from when the Black album comes out and James looks like the cowardly lion and, you know and Lars has got the long hair and, and they all look like you know Jason's got that cool like undershaved thing going on with his they head look like a metal band you know they yeah. look like a cool metal band and then between that and this album I mean they go through Money. that weird transition of to where James at one point like I know probably had something to do with the Fade to Black Fire but he had that weird mullet going on <laughs> he gets really big into like hunting yeah. like all you see is like all these like just hunting videos he turned into and, Ted Nugent yeah he turned yeah. into like metal Ted Nugent and <laughs> <laughs> so you be, so you've also got that in there and so you know at that point you're kind of I was they're kinda, from San Francisco now for the first time in their lives they have the money to actually go hunting and do things, what they want you yeah. know yeah, yeah they became so it's like they went from being you kind of the Joe Dirt looking metal band to all of a sudden it's like, hello, we're Metallica. Millionaire. And they're smoking the cigarette with the, the long stick and yeah. everything. Yeah. And wearing the monocles. Now I'll that. admit, I like it I like until it sleeps as a song. Yeah. But the video was like, What the <laughs> fuck are these guys doing? Yeah. And then like, what do you think of David Bowie or something something all of a sudden? Right. It's like, what is this? You guys are like art rock now? I mean, come on. 
right, so I mean, and there's a lot of clunkers on this one. I think Two by Four sucks. Cure <laughs> is a bad song. Uh, Thorn Within is not very good, and The Outlaw Torn, in my opinion, is the worst song on the record. And all nine minutes and 48 seconds of it. I do not <laughs> like it. Um, yeah, not a fan of this album. Are we ready to move on to the next one? I think it could have ended with the 10th track, Wasting My Hate. You Wasting do, My Hate's okay. Leave Mama Said, Thorn Within, and Ronnie and The Outlaw Torn. Leave that for something else. Yeah. They should have cut it short. All right, so we've got a November 18th, 1997. If you're you just come off the black album, so you come out with load, and you think, oh well, this kind of people are digging it, but yet still our hardcore fans really hate it. So what can we do? We do reload. Let's <laughs> let's reload. Produced by Bob Rock, James Hatfield, and Lars Ulrich. This is becoming a theme. Mm-hmm. Um, seventh studio album. Let's follow up to load. Debuted at number one on Billboard 200, selling 436,000 copies in its first week. Certified four times platinum by the RIAA and shipped four million copies in the United States. So, as far as they're concerned, I'm sure they're thinking this is all going according to plan. Well, I mean, technically, I mean, I guess they just went down over over 200,000 albums, uh, you know, from just a year earlier. And then, you know, you would assume that if, you know, uh, Load came out and was a big success, then, you know, Reload would be a huge success right away. Maybe they are, you know, kind of kind of looking at it again because I mean wasn't the first single off this The Memory Remains and that's one of the most fucked so. up songs I've ever heard of yeah. life. talk about alienating your fans see it's like when that came on I was like alright where's my friends from the 7th grade yeah. that were giving me shit about Kiss being weird <laughs> yeah, and stupid shit. where are they now for me to go point at the MTV video and be like what is that Marianne Faithful on a Metallica song. I'll give Marianne Faithful credit for her place in rock and roll history. Yeah, right, but, but not she has this no place. place on a Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> Which I mean, I think I mean, in all honesty, looking back, it's kind of cool, maybe. No. But it's like I like Fuel. <laughs> I like when Fuel came out and Fuel's I first heard song. that. I was like, okay, now this sounds more like Metallica yeah. again. But then the memory remains. It's like, wait a minute, this is this was a trick. I don't know though. James becomes it's a, a trap. James becomes a parody of himself on Fuel too, though. Yeah. The whole ooh yeah. Yeah. Right? Oh, man. But that's still kind of cool because that's his thing now. At well, this he's point. thinking about like top fuel cars, and he's into that stuff. So sure. I mean, that's a good song. It's a well-written song. Yeah, it's catchy. It's fast. It's heavy. That's what I think any Metallic fan at that time would have probably wanted. The Unforgiven Two, horrible. That's, yeah. That's, did not need to be made. The worst title track, the title of a song, Carpe Diem Baby. What are you, Lou Reed now? Come on. This is not the Velvet Underground. Attitude, Fixer. With with a triple X in there. That's terrible. I mean, terrible. terrible. Like mechanics? Yeah, I mean, the only thing you can even say about this album, I mean, Fuel is kind of what we talked about earlier with mainstays of their set. You know, Fuel's. One well, of those like songs. James' favorite song. Yeah, you you're gonna yeah. you're gonna get that. You know, every single show with all the flames and the you know fire and stuff. Yeah. And, but I like better than you. I think that one's okay. okay. Yeah, I think um, bad seeds all right. I mean, I, I don't go to it. Prince Charming's okay. Um, Low man's the last three songs. Low man's lyric attitude and fixer. Yeah, terrible way to end a record. Yeah, I just do not like. So, what is the deal with this? That it was load and reload. Are these just songs that were left over from load? I wonder. Well, because and that like when you get the you've seen the documentary, some kind of monster, right? Yeah. So there's a part in that movie where 
James and Lars are kind of basically having their ultimate argument and like like we don't know what we're going to do and like James is basically like you know I'm not sure if what's going to happen I'm not sure if I'm going to stay they're kind of like basically discussing breaking the band up yeah and they get to a point in the conversation and it was so telling and I don't even know if they meant to put this out on the documentary where they go well you know we've got pieces to stuff that we could probably put together and make something work like we did with <laughs> Load and Reload yeah. and then Lars was like yeah you got that right or something like that and it was like very telling right. and like you could tell that this album was scraps and I think they re- they recorded part of this album at the same time mm-hmm. as Load they were going to do a double album I think yeah double album but they weren't hard. confident with what they had and they were like we're going to give it a couple of years and spend mo- and spend more time working on songs yeah. well they should have given it a few more right because <laughs> it's not you know they released The Memory Remains was the first single which did okay yeah. and the yeah. video was big on MTV I remember the video the Unforgiven 2 came out. I don't think that did anything. Fuel did all right, and then Better Than You came out, but people had already kind of given up on the album at that point. I remember Unforgiven 2 getting quite a bit of radio airplay It got Central radio play, but it wasn't a big video. No. Right? But The Memory Remains got a lot of play on MTV. But it was the album didn't really move the needle for them. I mean, it was... Mm. It had the sales right off the bat because they were the biggest band in yeah. the world from the Black Album. Right. So you're immediately going to go platinum from having an album that big. That was kind of like, you know, ACDC had went platinum a flick of the switch, <laughs> but right. it's not a platinum album. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's, and you know, and a lot of fans gave up on them after this record. This was, this album was a deal breaker for a lot of fans. Yeah, because if you toughed it all past the Black Album, and then you got to load, and it was like, okay, this is just some kind of weird phase they're going through. It's Everything's going to be all right. And then you waited out through Reload, then you're probably, as a Metallica fan from back in the day, probably done at this point. Yeah. I think the only thing positive I have to say about this time period is I did see them live in this time period, and for the most part, they didn't really play these songs, and they still played the old stuff. Right. They were still great live. Yeah. They were still, they put on a hell of a show, you know, stage production-wise. The sounded great. You know, this, I probably saw them two or three times on during this time period and thought it was great every single time so there's almost like two separate things going on here I think they knew that those albums sucked <laughs> and so that they continued to play Seek and Destroy right. instead of switching it out with you know better than you and, right or and trying then, to put in Devil's Dance you know, or Slither or yeah something. they might Fuck no. you know so I think yeah. I think they knew I think the fans probably showed it to them maybe if the earlier in the tour they might have played some of these songs and People were in the beer line at that point and then waiting for Creeping Death. Yeah. But it, it's just funny to like look at this stuff, and, and we can say it a little bit more in a little bit, but you hearing this stuff, and then you're like, all right, well, that's a pretty decent song. Like, Fuel, that's not too bad. But then these are the guys that wrote Fight Fire with Fire, and, and these are the right. guys that wrote Master of Puppets. You know, you you, you got to look at it that way, too. Yeah, but, I mean, you got to factor their age and their place in life in the, into yeah. this whole thing. They're right. not going to write Fight Fire with Fire again. No, because that's not the life they're leading anymore. I mean, you want them to. <laughs> but, I mean, I don't know. Metall- it's like one of those things Fight where, like... Fight fire by throwing money at yeah, it. Yeah, but, I mean, like, ACDC can put out an album, I think, that sounds old school. Because it's within them to do it. Right, and they've never really strayed from it. I don't it. see Metallica putting out a thrash metal classic at their age. Because thrash metal, in my opinion, is really a young man's game. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't see them doing... I mean, and we're But they get- are masters of it. We're going to get to their newer stuff. Okay. So. Yeah. But 
that's my take on it. I mean, you have to factor in age a little bit with this stuff, but they got lazy with load and reload, especially with reload. Right. They well, got let me lazy. let me ask you guys this. I know it seems silly in retrospect, but as a kid, what did you have a reaction to them cutting their hair? Did you? I did. Did you feel funny about it? I thought it was that, lame. Yeah. Oh yeah, I thought it was stupid. I thought it was really lame was like too. And it was made like a huge mistake. Yeah. It's like why would you do that? You know, because again, you know, being young and growing up with music, and you learn things from music, you know, and. It, it's like it got to that point where I remember reading an interview. It's like, well, our hair don't play the songs. Yeah. You know, and it's like, yeah, but, you know, I think that's where a lot of the sellout come from because the era leading up to this was a bunch of guys going, no way, man, yeah. I'm not going to cut my hair. Yeah, well, I'll rock and roll. You cut your you hair know? so clearly you yeah. sold out. It's a, right. Yeah, they were trying to be you too. Well, what's funny, and I'll, I'll, I'll take it back to when Jay, because Jason cut his hair first. Jason cut his hair during the black album like it was you know somewhere in that cycle they were on like the american music awards and they were playing and and i went into school the next day and there there was literally i had a friend she was sitting there she was in tears and i was like what are you talking about she's like jason cut his hair i was convinced it wasn't jason she she was like no that's jason and she was bawling her eyes out because 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 he cut his hair off i mean that's like how significant that's hard you know your long hair was in metal you know right so your favorite thrash band through the 80s comes out in 1996 with with their cigars and their all their eyeliner and and they and they've all cut their hair it wasn't just like james cut his hair off and and then you know and it was, was one at a time. Band. It was a it whole. Been, it was a group effort, you know. It would have been different if it would have just been one of them. But yeah. being that it was the whole band like that, it's like here's a statement. Yeah. We're not metal anymore, <laughs> and that's kind of the way I took it at the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, hey, everybody that loved and supported us, you're lo- you long-haired rock and rollers out there. Yeah, we're not like you anymore. Right. And yeah. I think that hurt the band quite a bit. No, I didn't like it. I was I was upset about it. Which is fun, kind of silly in hindsight. No, yeah, right, yeah. Looking back but on it, it is yeah. funny, but, but at the it time is what it bothered me a lot. I was like, "What the fuck are they doing?" I mean, you take it back to to a decibel geek point, but I mean, it's like Kiss taking their makeup off or something. Right. It's like you know, they're they're a different band to me. You know, now that they've uh, yeah, I view cr- the creatures era so different than the Lick It Up era. But imagine but the same band. But yeah. if imagine if Kiss would have been on the cover of Lick It Up with short, stylish. The haircuts. Oh, God. People would have freaked the fuck out. Big time. That would have been too much. Kiss would have ended, I think. Oh, the makeup. Taking the makeup off alone was jarring. Yeah. yeah, but imagine if they would have cut their hair, too. I'm happy that I wasn't a fan when it actually <laughs> exactly. happened. Because yeah. who knows what I would have reacted. Um, burnt your house down. So, and I were doing studio. I've got to mention um, Garage Inc. Mm-hmm. Which it's one of the best cover albums it's ever. It's a great record. Yes. And there's a, I, I like just about everything on it. Although Turn the Page, of course, has been overplayed as fuck. Yeah. yeah. Whiskey in the Jar, although I'm a big Thin Lizzy fan, um, I'll take Thin Lizzy's version over that. Yeah, one. God, I used to have to play that into the ground when yeah. I was on radio. Those back two at this songs, time. I mean, like we have to acknowledge it because those two songs were big hits for Metallica. Yeah. yeah. You know that, and that honestly, those two songs really saved them from the shit they were doing with Load and Reload. Well, they yeah, kind of so, pulled them back up again. Yeah, because if you got to get your image back to where mm-hmm. you're blue-collar again instead of being the lot. weird fringe band that used to be something, what better way to make yourself blue-collar again Bob than doing Seger. a Bob Seger cover? Yeah. Of course. Yeah, so, that, I mean, that album helped them a lot. I always loved It's Electric and Sabra Cadabra off there. Oh, oh, man, Sabra Cadabra's an awesome cover. And Free Speech for the Dumb is awesome, it too. It is. 
Yeah. I, I love Die Die My Darling on this one. Me you know, too. I yeah. love, you, know, I, you can't really go wrong covering a Misfits song. Like, I'm no matter not what. a Misfits fan, but, <laughs> but I like that cover. You know, it's a, it's a great one. That's This is one of those things where, yeah, you're, you, you have Load, you have Reload come out, <clears throat> totally disheartened. <clears throat> what does Metallica do? They take a page from their book. They go, hey, remember when we did Garage Days and how cool that was? Check this out. We just did it again. And, you know, I was a fan at that point, too. And I'm like, oh, wow, they did another covers album. And, like, we've said this whole podcast, you know, they're great at doing covers. And so you can't go wrong with a Metallica cover album. Them and Anthrax are both great at pulling that off. Say, hey, guys, remember us? We're the guys that do covers of Diamond Head and Misfits. (laughs) We're back. We're back. Or are we? So in June of 2003... They released Saint Anger, produced by Bob Rock and Metallica. And um, it was their A Studio album released on Elektra Records. And then uh, Death Magnetic got released a few years later. <laughs> no. All right, we'll, talk about we'll talk about this for a minute. Um, this album sucks. What do you guys have to say? Uh, pretty well sucks. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, it's just one of those things, you know. When you go back and you you know you're like oh my god load and reload sucks so bad but then you listen to it again you're like ah fuel's really not that bad and you know you got a couple songs on on load that I aren't tried that bad to this again this but week. this is one yeah. of those where we, when we talked about doing this album <clears throat> this this podcast and I had to go back and listen I think I made it about probably five or six songs in maybe I went through the whole thing. and like, like I think that. What is this? 2002. So this is 11 years after the Black Album. So so basically they they've did this entire career in the first eight years of their life, and then they spent the next 11 years trying to make you forget how, <laughs> how cool right. they were back in the 80s <laughs> they and did 91. A good job. <laughs> because this album to me is is just one of the. It's not good, and it, it this is one of those ones where I, this is the one I wanted to go back to, and I wanted to be like. Wow, I forgot that Saint Anger actually was good. Yeah, but I'm I'm sorry, Mike. This album <laughs> is not good. <laughs> and you know, like the oh. frantic thing, like the tick tick tock tick oh. tock, ah, like where he's like doing that stuff. Like I I, I know what he's trying Whoa, to do. You went into another voice there, man. And he's just yeah, he's just, yeah, a one that doesn't fucking hit notes on key. Yeah, That's it's just terrible. Right. And then like the. Yeah. And then Lars does some sort of like off time, like sort of like dun dun. All right, dun, we can dun. talk for half an hour on the drum sound of this record. Right? Yeah. yeah, we can get the. And that's another thing too is like you know you look back at the Black Album, probably the best drum sound of ever. You know that and Doctor Feelgood, and then you hear this drum sound and you're like, this is. All just... right, well you yeah. you do know the secret behind this record that Lars didn't play on this record, right? Who did? Grover from Sesame Street. Oh, State yeah. <laughs> Grover and I think Oscar was... Yeah, it's all, yeah. Tra- it's all played, trash can. He played on Oscar's trash can. I, it's I the worst him. produced... Re- it may be the worst produced record I've ever heard. Which is funny because here we got Bob Rock Bob again. Rock. Yeah. Why aren't they replicating what they were... At this well, point, you would think, you know, we need to replicate the Black, the Black Album. Album. Yeah. And you know, of course, we've all seen some kind of monster. Yeah. But in which you know that's kind of hand in hand with this. The movie's a lot better than the record. Yeah. But Bob Rock is being interviewed during the making of this, and they're like, "Well, how do you explain the the sound of this record?" And he's like, "Well, the goal for this record is you're supposed to listen to four guys showing up in a room that don't know each other, and the band is Metallica, and that's what it sounds like. It sounds like it. This album basically is Bob Rock taking six months off. Um, I don't think there's any producing going on in this record. Yeah. I just and honestly, part of it is also because his ego got swelled because Jason leaves the band during this time to do yeah. the Echo Brain thing. 
and Bob ends up filling in on bass. Right. So, so now he's a member of the band. Yeah, so he's a member of the band. So I he, mean, Metallica. So he can't be objective anymore. He yeah. can't say, that riff sucks. We're not going to use that. Therefore, he's going to say, everything is amazing. It all sounds good. Let me be the bass player. I so, think he was so honestly this, heartbroken that he didn't get the gig. Do you think this is more of a Bob Rock featuring Metallica album? Oh, he's not even <laughs> going to put his... I don't even think he wants to take credit for it. But it's. But I think it's the thing where he... And like if you watch some kind of monster, you know, he even did a gig with them. He mm-hmm. did that Oakland Raiders pre-party mm-hmm. thing with them yeah. playing bass. And then like they're doing the tryouts for all these all these amazing players like Swiggy Ramirez right. and Chris Wise and from the cult and... All these guys are... Hulk Hogan even threw his hat in that ring. <laughs> he did. Pepper Keenan came in, Les Claypool. Pepper Keenan, you know, all these guys came in and tried out, and they're all real pro players, and then you have Bob Rock on the voiceover going, I don't think you should settle. I think you need to get the right guy, and I'm thinking they cut his mic off before he said, that guy is me. <laughs> right, but I yeah. think he honestly was butthurt that he didn't get the job. And when he's basically trying out to be the bass player Metallica... He's not going to say no to anything. Right. So he let them run amok. And that's what you got with St. Anger, is you got a band that had no producer, no direction, and they were also going through a shit ton of problems with James right. James going into rehab, and James and Laura's pretty much hating each other's guts through most of the making of the record. So it's a mess. I mean, there's no complete songs on it. It's all pieces of stuff that could be good songs, right. but nothing is ever fleshed out, and it's a complete fucking mess. I'm sorry. I mean, I know there's people that love this album. I just don't get it. I think it sucks ass. <laughs> no, it's definitely the worst of the Metallica discography, in my opinion. I was trying to find... The the only positive is the first, all the way up to the verse of St. Anger, the song itself. Mm. Because it kind of builds to this cool thing. The, the drums, as terrible as they sound, you know, he's playing fast. Some double bass. You know, when you're... When you're you know, looking back to the Black Album and previous albums, and you're into thrashier Metallica. You're, I was excited the first time I heard the song "Saint Anger." I was like, you know, you saw the making of the video. Mm. You saw them; they're in the prison with, yeah, the, with their beanies on, and they look all tough. You know, and then you get saying angry, you're like, oh, this is going to be cool, man. And you're getting into it, getting into it. And then that verse happens. And you're like, it just drops off. Oh, it's the yeah, worst. And James is a big culprit for why the album doesn't work. Because yeah. his vocals are bad on this record. And the lyrics are bad. Do you think this is the point where early in the career... You know they're they're dealing with Fleming Rassman, and they're they're dealing with Steve Thompson and Toby Wright, and mm-hmm. and they're they're but they're not they're not being produced. They're producing themselves, and then you know they're doing all that stuff, and then they actually get produced one album, which is the Black Album, mm-hmm. which creates you know they don't know Bob, Bob doesn't know them. You know they're listening to Bob because Bob has this great back catalog. Yeah. You know Bob's probably taking what they've done because he thinks that they they're they're a great band. That's the melding of two great times in music. Yeah. Is the Black Album. It is. Right. And then after that, they stop listening to Bob they because do. they they've made this gigantic album, which is the Black Album, and they feel like they can do whatever they want. And so and Bob's along for the ride. And Bob's along for the ride, and they've made all this money, and so they're back to pre-black album to where they're like not listening to producers they're not doing anything else but they've also got their wallets are lined with bazillion dollar bills 
and they have no reason to to you know be angry and be, have angst and you know they're all right. I mean they're you know basically this is the album where they're selling where Lars sells his painting collection for like thirty million dollars yeah. like and gets drunk while and you know he's just yeah. drinking wine the whole time like I'm really angry about it though yeah I mean what's there to be pissed about <laughs> right you know he's yeah, it's kind of hard to write an angry album when you're living that lifestyle. I mean, come so, on. Yeah, because then it all comes off as fake. But then, you know, James, I think, came from a genuine place because he went into rehab and, yeah. you know, his alcohol issue was a long time coming. I mean, like, he was a mess on the Black Album Tour. But, like, he, you know, he was out of control on that. But, and then you got two people that, you have two worlds colliding with Lars, who was like, I'm fine, I'm a rich millionaire and everything's perfect. And then you got James going, I'm a drunk, I, I need a lot of help, I got a lot of shit, I don't talk to my dad, and all this stuff. Yeah. So, that's why you end up yeah, with that. Yeah, Kirk, and see, I still look like Carlos yeah. Santana. <laughs> yeah, and Kirk is Kirk's like, just I, off surfing. Yeah, and Kirk's just like, why are we not doing guitar, sol- guitar solos? Right. Um, which I don't blame him for that, because that was another fucking travesty of this record. Mm-hmm. It's like, Limp Biscuit's not playing guitar solos, so therefore we can't play guitar solos. Lame. There were some very new metal riffs on, oh, on this stuff, too. Oh, they were totally trying like, to keep up with the Joneses yep. on this record. Yeah. And that's a big part of the problem. Yep, they I think that's exactly what this is, because at the time this comes out, the new metal, the Limp Biscuits, the corn, yep. all that is huge. Yep. And so this is Metallica's way of they're pulling a kiss here. Yeah, they're trying is to what be they're doing. Current. They're trying to come out with something that's that's hip and trendy right now. But when, they have no But when you're a band like this, you are the trendsetter. Yep. You're the one that has built this thing that everybody mm-hmm. loves. Yep. Don't try to stray from what you've created to try to try to follow something mm-hmm. else that might be popular right now. This would have been the time for Metallica to come back after load and reload. Saint Anger yeah. should have been a return to form and, for well, Metallica, and a lot of old the, school Metallica. And a, and a big part of the problem was they decided on this record that they were going to create in the studio. Yeah, yeah, that never works out. You have to get your shit together before you go into a studio and then just blast it out, which they would do on the next record. And then do your little tinkering with yeah. it there. But if you're going to experiment, you don't do it while you're tracking. Yeah. You but then do again, it while you're writing. that's the attitude of somebody who's having to come up with money to pay for the studio time. Yeah. These guys well, don't have, have no problem. Yeah, they have <laughs> they're money they're in there literally. for as long as they want to be, and yeah. so therefore they can Axl Rose the can hell you, out of this thing. God, can you imagine what the studio bill must have been for this record? <sighs> When you watch some kind of monster, like yeah. it's over what two, three years? Yeah. That they recorded this fucking. They might as well just bought a studio or oh, built easily. one somewhere. It had to have been millions that they blew on just just making the record. Yeah. What the, what also happened on this album too is this is when you know early in the in the production of this is when you know Jason leaves to do Echo Brain and you see that that clip of Lars like yeah. he Lars at this point they've they've created the Black Album load reload selling out arenas. And he is truly trying to convince himself that Jason's going to go off and do Echo Brain and become bigger than Metallica. Yeah. Like, and he's like, we're, we're not going to be anybody. We're not going to do anything. And it's crazy. Because he was that so worried crazy. about being the big new thing. Yeah. And like, so crazy. It just tells, it shows how, like, no matter how much money and success you have, you know, once you're inside your own head, it's, it's up to you how you react to stuff. Right. But like he's like, as we all know, yeah. Echo Brain never went on well, he's to set the Echo world Brain on fire. Play a little theater to maybe a thousand people, and he's going. They're going to be the bigger, the biggest thing ever. And it's like, dude, wow, you're, you're the drummer in Metallica. <laughs> right. What the That'd fuck? That'd be crazy if he ended up being right. <laughs> oh, What's God. funny too, like how we'd be yeah. ta- having, a, having Brain, a, there was no chance of that. No. <laughs> we'd be having a Jason Newstead discussion today, right? 
It's that whole like when you're in in the middle of it, you can't see the forest for the trees. Yeah, you can't right. because there are a lot of artists that I've had on the Talk to Me podcast where I'll be sitting there and I'm oh, like wow. totally, you know, oh my god, this album was my favorite album of all time, and and they're like, yeah, it was it was cool, I guess, you know, and blah blah blah, and you're like, are you kidding me? Like you wrote that album, like it's amazing, and. Yeah, to them, they just move on. Yeah, they just Kinda move like on. The way we talk to Michael Wagner and be like, well, when we do albums unleashed, we better bring that CD we with us. Play because, him the album because yeah, because we did the uh, Warrant Dog Eat Dog and we're playing him tracks and he's lighting up because he hasn't heard these songs yeah. in yeah, years. He's like, I haven't know? heard this since '92. That was a job, and when the job was done, I moved on to the next job, <laughs> and when that was done, I moved on to the next. And every time to go back it's and enjoy from it. From a fan perspective, way different. Yeah, that's crazy. So, I mean, that's all I have okay. on this album. But I, there, I mean, I will say there are riffs throughout that I'm like that could be the germ of a new good oh, yeah. song but it never goes none of it ever goes anywhere it this, just sounds this, like rough demos this album to yeah St. Anger is 100% I have I have a riff you have a riff Chris has a riff let's all just throw them together and make a song like yep. that's, that's mm-hmm. all that album and is never flesh it out yeah that's the whole album so yeah. it's a lot of unfinished ideas is what it is that would but, sit out there in the open for a long, long time. And at the same time, though, Lars is right when he talks in interviews, is if it wasn't for St. Anger, we'd never have, would have had a Death Magnetic, which, and I'm not going to say Death Magnetic is like as great as Kill em All or anything, but it's a da- it's damn sure, in my opinion, the best thing they've done since the Black Album. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Oh, yeah, and one thing with St. Anger, too, is this is the introduction of Robert Trujillo comes in after this for this touring cycle. Right. And I think that Robert looked at St. Anger and that's when he put his hair in those silly little pigtail braids <laughs> and starts crab walking all over the stage because he goes, if you guys aren't going to take this seriously, neither am I. Neither am I. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Good on him. Because Did I he think really him, say that? No. Oh, okay. I was well, going to say, wow. Well, that, that's my interpretation of the move. We're going to get on Blabbermouth too? Wow. <laughs> Josh Toomey says in Decibel Geek interview. Again, that's got to kind of suck that, you know, you get that gig, you're the bass player in Metallica, and it's like, what? It's kind of like Eric Carr starting with the Elder. Right, yeah, this is, is, and St. Anger kind of is like the Elder elder. of Metallica, (laughs) for sure. Except unlike the Elder, very few people actually will stand up for St. Anger. We're going to get a bunch of emails from Unlike the Elder. I love that album, man. Unlike the Elder, there is no theme. There was no movie. (laughs) The concept was, I hope we don't break up because we have a lot of money. No excuse. (laughs) All right. Okay, so Death Magnetic finally comes out September 12, 2008, recorded at Sound City Studios and Shangri-La Studios and Metallica's HQ, all in California. Put out on Warner Brothers and Vertigo Records, produced by Rick Rubin. The only time Rick Rubin has produced Metallica. Probably the last time. Yeah. Um, their ninth studio album. And uh, first one since And Justice for All to not be produced by Bob Rock. And uh, Radical Departure from St. Anger. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Yes. Um, first album released through Warner Brothers. Although I still remember Warner Music Group. Blah, 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 blah. You don't even know all that stuff. But uh, debuted at number one on the Billboard 200. Making them the first band to ever do so well the Metallica's fifth consecutive studio album to debut at number one so, so even St. Anger debuted at number one yes it did wow that's a lot of angry people dropped like a rock <laughs> <laughs> but um, I personally really really like this album and you know I spent this week going back and listening to the whole discography I, I was you know when they come up on shuffle I listen to them yeah but I hadn't really sat down and listened to that full albums and uh, 
after getting through load, then reload, and then going to this, I'm like, oh, this is refreshing. Yes. Um, yeah, it's not Master of Puppets, but it's really damn good. And uh, I I loved it. It's not produced really well. It's brick-walled all to shit. It's not a good headphones album. It will ruin your ear your uh, eardrums. But uh, writing-wise and riff-wise, there's a lot to like on this record, in my opinion. I think it's a great record. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the songs are great. I think the production kind of sucks. But after what we've been through with this oh, band man. in the last three albums... <laughs> breath, breath of fresh air. Yeah, I remember hearing this for the first time. I mean, I bought it on CD when it was new. Me I was too. excited to hear it. You know, I remember being in the car with my wife, putting it in, cranking it up, and being like... Yeah, now this is more like it. Yep. This is the Metallica I remember. Yeah. And again, the production not all that great, but man, you cannot deny these songs. There's a lot of good riffs and energy on this one. There's chemistry on this record. Yes, and most the, definitely. Yeah, I was working in a, uh, in a store that sold you know Metallica merchandise at the time when this album came out. Uh, yeah, I totally was pumped the day it came out. I was excited that you know they were going back. As silly as it sounds, it's almost like the haircut thing in reverse. They put the old logo back on it. They did. You know, and you <laughs> and that's like that's sign number one that they know that the, what they need to be doing is is being that Metallica. Like there's almost the two Metallicas to me. There's there's that goofy logo Metallica. Yeah. And then there's this cool like that's the that old Metallica logo, coolest logo ever. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, oh, it's yeah. up there, you know. Totally. You, know, you can't beat it. So, you know, these songs all I mean look at these track listings. Jesus Christ. Seven, eight, six, seven. You know, there's there's some long jams on this album. Ten, yeah. ten tracks. Shortest song on the album, six minutes thirty nine seconds. That's so, true. You know, I know I got my apocalypse so is five minutes, but yeah, it goes up from there. Yeah, it's just all, you know. I think getting Bob out of the mix probably helped this album a lot. You know, I, there's no telling what this would have sounded like had Bob been a part of it. Yeah, I'm glad he wasn't a part of it. Yeah. But then again, if this would have been produced like the Black album... That would have been cool. This would have been an album that I don't think anybody would argue about Metallica it's fans. I think everybody I would love it. Yeah. yeah, the only thing I hear people bitch about on this one is the production. That's yeah. that's it. The yeah. songwriting's there. Because it's just kind of got that flat kind of sound to it. I mean, not nearly as bad as St. Anger... No. But it still kind of comes off sort of flat. Yeah, and it's brick walled to shit. Yeah, kind of my... the way we talk about Hotter Than Hell, about how you know the production's flat, but the songs are so good, you kind of forget you about you're it. you're able to overlook the production. Yeah. That's how this one kind of is. Highlights for me on this one: um, Broken Beat and Scarred. Yeah, I love that. All Nightmare Long. Once that really kicks in with the main riff, and uh, Robert Trujillo was a big part of the writing of that song. Uh, Cyanide's cool. It runs, it kind of reminds me of Seek and Destroy a little yes. bit. It has a kill em all sound. Um, the Judas Kiss is my favorite song on the record. Because that the main riff, the... It's, it almost sounds like a modern song for Metallica, but it's got kind of an old school feel. And then My Apocalypse uh, is kind of like a Metallica Slayer song. I get, I mean, it has a bit of a Slayer feel to it. But uh, there's nothing yeah, I don't Rubin. like on it. Suicide Redemption... I don't think you need 10 minutes to make the statement on the instrumental on that one because <laughs> it does kind of go nowhere. But if I had to pick a clunker, that would be it. But everything else I really, really like. Yeah, Yeah, me too. Yeah, there ain't really a whole lot on here that's bad other than... You well, know, Unforgiven 3 is not that great either. But It's better than Unforgiven 2, though. It is better than 2. Yeah, <laughs> not as good as 1, better than 2. Yeah, I agree. Josh, what about you? The only main, the main thing on here is, you know, 
I think vocally you still get James being like this this later in his life James. Yeah. yeah. You know, his vocals are still kind of weird. Um, still being very punny, all nightmare long type stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're getting, you know, his, once again, his lyrics, he just gets somebody in there that can write a lyric and just comb over his stuff. You know, obviously you can, you're a genius and you can come up with certain stuff. It but took Billy to come in. And yeah, have somebody yeah. come in. Right, exactly. But not Desmond Child. <laughs> that is not ever, that's never going to happen. <laughs> if it ever had a chance, they, they missed does, the boat on Metallica's it. Metallica's going to lose all their fans. It would have been load, reload, or saying anger, you might have got it, but now it'll never happen. Know. But, you know, this is also a huge resurgence in their career. You know, you've got them playing gigantic festivals again. Yeah. Not, you know, headlining headlining all the festivals again playing to giant crowds you know they put out the movie after this the uh through the never movie yeah that was you cool. know that was a cool 3d movie uh doing all kinds of cool stuff i think you know robert probably has a lot more to do with metallica at this point and i think he's a great fit for the band he is. i think he brings a lot to the band not say anything bad about jason newstead but i can what Robert does more to what Cliff had done. Mm-hmm. I see, I hear a lot of Cliff kind of influence stuff in Robert Trujillo, where like Newstead kind of more was, of a pocket player. Yeah, it was more of a pocket player. Where Robert is really a really good fit for this band. He was a good choice. Yeah, I thought <clears throat> you know, kind of going back to the some kind of monster movie when they're showing the bass tryouts, like you see everybody up there standing still trying to play their parts, playing, trying to play everything right. Yeah, he was and, then, and then you get Robert Trujillo in there, and he's all he's halfway everywhere. on the ground. He's doing the crab walk. He's doing all... He's being Robert Trujillo. Right. And, you know, you almost knew at that point, you're like, oh, well, that's the guy right there. Yeah. But, you know, the other crazy thing is now Robert Trujillo has been in the band longer than Jason Newstead ever was. That is crazy. And that's, that's, wow, a, that's man. a crazy Wow, man, you say step. that. It's, it's true, I'm sure. Long. But, man, yeah. it, it doesn't seem like it, does it? Wow. Yeah. That is hard to believe. It's because we've canceled saying <laughs> anger out of our minds, and, and that's out. And, you know, so, yeah, he's been there a long time, but this was the first big debut on, on recording for him. Yeah, you could see all those live videos. I mean, live, I mean, honestly, the, he really bothers me live. He bothers me the way he does the little crab, silly crab walk. I mean, I, you know, obviously, infectious grooves, suicidal tendencies, right. all the stuff he did in Ozzy's band, mm-hmm. you know, and now Metallica. I mean, you can't knock him his playing is amazing yes. oh, but player. you know as as for stage presence he, he kind of irks me every once in a while with his <laughs> like with his goofy crab walk trying to take the attention away from the other guys i don't know i'm i just think he's being him i think he did that crap he did that crab walk yeah, he's awesome for you yeah, he did it for, with yeah. ozzy too but yeah. yeah if you can get away with doing it when ozzy's on stage you can do it with anybody so he actually talked about that with somebody on a podcast once and he said that ozzy loved the crab walk really? he thought that was the coolest thing you've ever seen yeah wow i mean i that's cool. So, but overall, I think we're all in agreement that this is a pretty strong studio yeah. record. Yes. Um, so that's the last studio album as of the date of this recording. Yes, because I'm now really looking forward to seeing what they've learned. Yeah. What has Metallica learned, and what are they bringing to the table for the new album so coming out? So they've got a new one coming out in November. I think November 17th, I think, was what they said the date was. And they've released one single called Hardwired. And, which I liked a lot. Which came out this past week. Pretty awesome. I really, really like this song. Yeah, me too. And the, I especially like the production. Yeah, production-wise, sounds great. Um, I was kind of who's producing this one? Do you, does he know? The guy that engineered Death Magnetic okay. is producing this one. All right. I saw that the, uh, you know, just kind of 
mixing back and forth between, you know, I'm going to check out a couple songs off of Load, and then I was doing back and forth, kind of, and then, you know, you go from Load back to Kill Em All, and then you go this, Hardwired right in the middle of all that. Mm-hmm. Hardwired could erase Load and Reload to me. You know, so far, so good. Yeah. Right. You know, obviously, the story on that song so far is it was the last song they wrote, they said let's write a really quick song at the at the very end of the session and so it could just be an anomaly and that could be the only song that sounds and like that sound like and the, the and the rest of the sound no no you know, no the rest of the album I'm is the unforgiven if that happens you know the unforgiven 4 through 12 oh, you know yeah. could be the rest of the album guess who's album. back <laughs> it's very unfaithful give her a cigarette folks <laughs> but yeah, Hardwired to me is is one of those like I'm really excited about the new me album. Too. I mm-hmm. think you know the day that that they did a great thing. They did the whole the albums. Nobody really knew when the album was coming out. They didn't yep. know when the new it's song was going to come out. They yep. didn't know if a new video was coming out. I like boom that. all one day. You hear the new song. You get the release date. You got the video. Mm-hmm. And you know my my Facebook, my Twitter, everything. The whole day was Metallica's back. You know. Yes. And listen to it a few days later. Lyrics again, those are just pretty shit lyrics, you know. But overall, I think I'm, I'm excited to see what they do. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it and um, excited for November because I, I can't wait to, and I'm gonna, I will buy it on release day. Yeah. And I'm going to do everything I can to not listen until then. <laughs> right. Because it will get leaked probably in the next two, three weeks. Oh, if it's not already. Yeah. Probably the thing is, is, hopefully they have looked at, you know, what they did with Death Magnetic and how everybody was so excited that they were returning to more of a Roots Metallica sound and can look at it and say, okay, the only thing anybody ever bitched about on Death Magnetic was the production. So if we can fix that and come back with songs that are just as strong as what was on Death Magnetic, we could be on top of the world again. What I heard from Hardwired sounds stronger than Death Magnetic. I mean, it's reminiscent of some of that material. But like, especially the way it ends, I was like, "That sounds like old school Metallica." Like, that's Lars what we doing want. that double bass part at the end. Yeah, that's I, all we've ever it's wanted. It's enough to get me excited, <laughs> which I which scares me because now I'm like afraid I'm gonna be like so disappointed when it comes out. But I'm optimistic. Good, me too. And with. The one thing I'm going to leave my lasting comments on Metallica on this one is even through the load, reload era, through Death Magnetic and all that stuff, I mean, they were still taking out, you know, they were taking out Machine Head and they were taking out Corrosion Conformity and they were taking out, they did the big four and, and basically, you know, re-co-signed that, that Slayer, Anthrax, and Metallica, or Slayer, Anthrax, Megadeth were you know, great bands, and they, yeah. they, they've been doing a lot for heavy mm-hmm. music this whole time. There were there was a moment there, like we saw when we saw them on the live shit Binge, Binge and Purge tour, where they were taking out Candlebox, yeah. and like they took out <laughs> Days of the New, but I mean, there was there was that time period too, but I think since then, I think they've realized what, what they are, who they are, and what they need to be in the world of heavy music. Yeah, because they have nothing left to prove. They don't have right. to be fitting in with what's popular anymore. They should just be Metallica. Yeah. Yeah, because that's all that anybody ever truly wanted want. from Metallica. Yeah, I don't want them to sound like Maroon 5. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, or, or any of the I weird, want them to be weird the stuff they've form. done. I thought right. I thought it was very telling 
with this show that they just did in Minneapolis, opening the new Viking Stadium, mm-hmm. where they had their support was Avenged Sevenfold and Volbeat. Yeah. I think yeah. that they, I think they totally get it. That that's who they need to be taking out on tour. They don't need to be taking out, you know, whatever Nickelback-ish sounding band is out there right now. Yeah, like a Breaking Benjamin or something. I hear right? That. No, don't do that. Well, because you're Metallica, you're metal. Embrace right. the metal, Metallica. And we're looking forward to that new album. And tell us, guys, you know, comment on the Facebook page and on Twitter. Send us an email at decibelgeek at gmail.com. Let us know what your favorite songs are on all these albums. We want to hear your keepers and clunkers for each one of these records. Are we ho- totally wrong on St. Anger? Mike, you let us know what you think. Um, <laughs> we're talking about Metal Mike on Instagram. Yeah, on Instagram. He loves St. Yeah. Anger. He's that guy. He's the guy. But uh, it's been a lot of fun, Josh, having you on, and uh, I hope it's been fun for you to come down here to Nashville and do this. Uh, it's my hometown. I can't. Uh, any any chance I get to come back, I'll definitely do it. And uh, you know, definitely coming down, hanging out with the Decibel Geeks was a fun afternoon. Awesome. So uh, go ahead and plug your show. I, I host the Talk to Me podcast, and that's T O O M E Y. It's not some silly talk to me thing. <laughs> it's not an Ace Frehley podcast. Right. No, it's, not, it's not an Ace Frehley podcast. <laughs> we only talk about Unmasked. <laughs> One album every week. <laughs> but yeah, Talk to Me. Um, I have a lot of uh, guests on, ranging everybody from David Ellison of Megadeth to yeah. uh, you know people from Carcass and. Uh, Crowbar and you know Jim Brewer was on and a lot of stuff so you know it's, about, it's been going on for about a year now and a lot of fun so come check it out uh, all the social media is at talk to me talk on Twitter facebook.com slash talk to me talk and all that fun stuff so thanks to Chris and Aaron here for having me for the afternoon awesome and uh, we fully support talk to me it's, yes. a, it's a great show to listen to I enjoy listening to it and uh, yeah it's been a lot of fun interesting to see you away from the Nashville uh, metal scene because I remember the uh, twelve volt negative Earth days. I used a to, lot of fun. Used to remember those days in the clubs, but uh, yeah, check out Talk to Me, guys. And uh, Aaron, you got anything you want to say? No, no. Come back and we'll we'll do a recap for VIP when the new Metallica comes out. We'll add a Ooh, an additional that. piece to the end of this show just for our VIPs. And if you guys want to find out how to be VIPs, just look it up: patreon.com, decibelgeek.com. Josh. Pick one Metallica song out of the entire catalog that we can play out with today. I did not tell you we were going to do this. Frantic. Yeah, I you. Bye, everybody. Right. Uh, let's go with the song that you know means the most to me, uh, means a lot to Chris, and uh, probably means a lot to Aaron. So let's go with uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls. That'll work. Awesome. See you next week.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.